Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Hello, partygoers, and welcome to a very special episode 41 of the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And when I say that it's special, Mary, what I mean is it's exactly the same as all the other ones we've done. Yes. And is in no way special at all. Yeah, I guess so. But it has a special meaning for me. Okay, why? I'm, no, I'm lying. It doesn't have any special oh. meaning at all. You shouldn't have asked that question. Oh. You've, actually blown, you've blown my cover. Now I'm Sorry, I didn't... I get left. the bit. You didn't fill me in on it before we started the episode. I should have filled you in. <laughs> it's as if I thought of saying that just when I started introducing the show. Oh, well. There we go. What a, t- what a team we make. <laughs> it's like we can read each other's minds. <laughs> um, so, Mary, you're, you're uh, once again remotely broadcasting or podcasting the show this yes. week. Yes. You are uh, I am. back up in... Beautiful Summerland, British Columbia. Yes, yes. The, the city that invented summer. It did. And this time it is Summerland, as opposed to last time we were recording it was Ummerland. <laughs> okay. Because, did I tell you about that or did I not tell you? No, what happened? Oh, when we were driving up, there's a big sign that says, Welcome to Summerland. Yeah. Um, but someone had s- stolen the S. Oh. I'm assuming it's some sort of grad prank. Oh, I assume it's a person with their beginning. Their name is Stephanie. I think they should yeah, look for Stephanie, pro- Sandy, Stephen, Stephen, yeah, Sam, uh, well, Sam, I Samuels guess. Samuels and Samantha's. Samantha. I'm just trying to think of names that are very common. Whereas you said Sam, and now I feel like you've gone off the the board. Although is Sam a popular name now? I don't know. Yeah, Sam is a super popular name. Well, it's good. I'm glad that our Jewish forefathers are being represented in our current naming system. Again, both Sam, Samuel and Samantha. And Samantha. Yeah. All right, cool. Look for them both. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the police should start, to start narrowing down. They should open up the phone book. Yeah. Wish it was alphabetized by first name. <laughs> Get rid of the phone book. Try figure out a different way to figure this out. Realize that anyone who's stealing letters probably isn't in the phone book. Yes, true. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's some sort of some sort of uh, old age prank. Right. I Maybe mean, they can start that way. They can start with old age homes that start with S. Okay, so yes. So Shady Acres. Yep. As a start. Uh-huh. Uh, that's only the name I can think of with an S. Sil- Silver Lake. Silver Lake. That's a good one. Sure, like that. That kind of describes where you are. Yeah. Summerland, uh, home for the aged. Mm-hmm. Okay, here. I've got top US baby names 2018. All right. So let's look through the S's. This is very, so- this Sophia. Is very, this is very dated, but okay. Yep, Sophia. Sophia. Another Sophia. Okay. Sebastian. So at PH and F? Yeah, PH first, then F. Okay. PH is five and F is 17. Do not name your daughter Sophia. Why not? Because she will be, if two versions of the same name are yeah. in the top 20, yeah. there's going to be five Sophias in every classroom. <laughs> You're right. Back to the good old days of Jake. Um, or Nick. Jacob is number 13. Yeah. Boys' names tend to um, be more traditional. Okay. Top five boys' names, Liam, Noah, William, James, Oliver. Wow. Mm-hmm. Interesting mix of old and new, or oldish and newish, I guess I should say. Yeah. Like Oliver. You never would have heard it meant an Oliver when I was growing up. No. 
That would have been strictly for Oliver Hardy. Of, right. of Oliver Laurel and, Laurel and Hardy. But nowadays, yes, these sort of names are popular. So anyway, so go on. So uh, Sophia, Sophia. Um. Oh, it's Sebastian and Samuel. Okay, wait, wait. Okay, sorry. Here's the here's the numbers. Yeah. Okay. So last year, over twenty thousand girls were named Sophia with a P H or with an F. Yeah. Thirteen point nine or thirteen thousand nine hundred twenty-eight uh, with P H. Yeah. And seven thousand six hundred twenty-one with an F. Wow. So I imagine that. Like when we we're talking about popularity of names, yes, it's still so spread out that there is a, quite a bit of variety because there can't like that's not really a lot of kids named Sophia like overall who are born right? No, it's just no, a, and that's that's just for the states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, huh. And generally speaking, well, you know, and why that name is so popular is because the United States loves wisdom. Yeah, famously. Yeah, famously. Yep. Um. And generally, boys' names tend to be more popular than girls' names. So more girls get boys' names than than girls' names. No, so I mean, more <laughs> boys are named the same names. Okay. So boys boys' names tend to be like you have um, less variety, whereas girls. So like, for instance, um, here in yeah, you know, twenty eighteen. Yeah. Number one for boys, nineteen thousand eight hundred thirty seven. We're wow. named Liam. Okay. For girls, eighteen thousand six hundred eighty-eight were named Emma. Hmm. Wow. So there's not that much variety there. Yeah, yeah. But then when you get down to like number fifteen, eleven thousand one hundred and seventy-three boys were named Daniel, and only eight thousand and fifty-five girls were named Ella. Hmm. At the same ranking. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, there's just girls are given a wider variety of names. And Ella generally. isn't Ella just like a uh, an add-on name like it's like you would add it to danielle and make it daniella or you know what i mean like it's not really a name it's just uh, like no a, it it is a name Ella it's, it's a like name? a it is yeah it's like oh, okay. a diminutive form um, okay. but it is also a name in its own right okay okay yeah so like you do often say see it at the end of of names to make it um uh a feminized name yeah, right yeah, like yeah. yeah you said daniella or well, yeah, because as you know, your name was almost Davella. Yes, it was. That yeah. was obviously right on the table the whole time. Yeah, uh, but no, in um, in English, Ella means fairy maiden. Oh, okay. And in German, it means completely. Completely a fairy maiden, not well, not just like a half-hearted fairy maiden. But well, no, in totally, German, it's totally it's, committed to the idea of. No, there's there's there's, there's were, a German version, and then there's an, an English version. Oh, okay. okay. That have different meanings. Yeah. Huh. That's not. It's not super uncommon for names especially names like ella where they have like multiple um you you find them starting in like multiple different languages mm-hmm. okay i see i can see that yep hmm. all right well there we go that's one of mary's this is actually something we were talking about on sneaky dragon this week was uh, uh monomaniacal projects and by okay that, by that i mean when you become obsessed with one thing Right, and you sort of pursue that for a while, and then so you you, you mean my whole life, <laughs> your your love of names, mm-hmm. your love of names. You've always loved names, and mm-hmm. uh, it was your your job wherever when, to name things when you were growing up. Cause, was it? Yep, you would name like our car navigation and. Oh yeah, yeah, it's true. That was your job, and then uh, all. But re- recently, you took on a new monomaniacal project, which was. 
did I tell you that the first time I said that word on the show, I said mono monomaniacal accidentally? Oh, I reverted to childhood. Right. And I, I believe I told that story on either either one of those shows where I was. There was a boy who said maniacal in front of two girls, mm. who then proceeded to like murder him in lang but with through language, Oof. like drag him back and forth across red hot coals for yeah. saying, saying maniacal rather than maniacal. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I'm like, you idiot! And I'm thinking in my mind, I thought it was maniacal too. <laughs> Glad I didn't say that. But anyway, uh, so. So yeah, so you are currently you're currently um, watching all of Walt Disney's animated features chronologically. Is that what you're doing, dear? Oh yes, yeah, I'm doing that because you can. Yeah, why not? Well, I, I thought it would be interesting. Yeah. To go through and see how their um, animation style and story structures change okay. throughout, throughout time, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I I think it it is pretty obvious. Well, when you watch I would them. certainly they certainly changed their their animation style, mm-hmm. but I feel like their story style didn't change that much. That they had like kind of a a sense of of, of a story from almost from the get go. It seems to me, and that they didn't really change that very much. Am I wrong? I feel like Cinderella from the fifties is very similar to Snow White from the beginning of the forties. Mm, well, I mean, I think that it's. I think I think that a lot of people when they think about animated disney movies they yeah. do automatically think about the princess um, disney princess movies because yeah. that's yeah. sort of like their whole big thing right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's a really small percentage of the movies that they put out well i guess that's true actually yeah you know like but going think, but isn't dumbo like a similar story though than that to like i mean they follow a pretty well i guess i don't know maybe i'm wrong they, it just feels to me like they have a they had an idea like they kind of have like a classic story structure to how they do things mm. you know the third act low point or a second act low point and then third act you know uh reinvention of the character or whatever but i i guess right. i guess it's sort of i guess it's sort of different and i mean i guess like dumbo you have like him becoming himself in the third act and sort of accepting himself right and i guess that's sort of a different stream of disney style films yeah, and I mean, like, if you're looking at Snow White in that vein, it doesn't really have that. No, it doesn't have story that. structure, right? Because yeah, yeah. it's like she runs away, she's yeah. scared, she finds the um, dwarves, the seven dwarves, yeah. and they sort of are kind of like, I don't know about this situation, and then they accept her. Yeah, and then you know she's quite happy there, and they make friends, and then the wicked witch, no, the evil queen comes back. Yeah, and tries to kill her, and mm-hmm. then the dwarves go after her, and yeah. then she dies. It's a very short movie also. Yeah, well, because... Not probably, a lot happens in that it's movie. It's probably pretty expensive to make. It, and actually, thinking about that film, it doesn't follow that classic three-act structure either, because it mm-hmm. there's no, like, low point. The low the low point is the climax of the film. Yeah, or, poison like, apple after and, she runs away, and she's, like, crying in the forest. Yeah, Because yeah. everything's scary, and she's running, and all the trees are making scary faces. <laughs> but that's more like the inciting incident of the movie, right? Like that's what kind of yeah. cre- creates the gives the story that it's kind of kickstart into the actual story. Yeah, it's interesting. Hmm. Ah, so so what what else have you like? So in terms of like animation style, like like I've often said that, um, and I say this because I I've only seen all these movies once, but right, Sleeping Beauty. I always say I is one of my, is my favorite of the Walt Disney movies because I love the the look of it. I love the the style of like the the thorn thorn patch and have you got to that one yet? Right. Have you got to I have, yeah. I'm okay. I have watched twenty one of their movies so far. Wow. 
in my watch of 58. Wow. And I've I've taken a bit of a break. I haven't really watched one in a couple weeks. Okay. Okay. Just because I've been really busy at work. Yeah. And I've been kind of like stressed out at work too. And so when I come home, I, I'm more likely to just watch like TV. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I can like not pay attention to it, mm-hmm. whereas watching these movies, I'm more inter- I'm interested in paying attention to them. More, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than just like putting something on in the background and then like being on my computer. Oh, it's too bad you didn't do this as like a blog. You're right. I should have done it as a blog. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, what? I want you to to do that. I want you to, to yeah to post date it. Yeah. No. Yeah. I want you to do it. We'll put it on the Sneaky Dragon. Thingy. Okay. Why? Well, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm super busy at work right now. I, I know. Time, I know. But I, I just can... think it's something you should think about because it's a it is an interesting uh, it is an interesting project. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. Because yeah, I mean, and th- I mean, the other thing is like this is not this is not new ground. You know. No, but like, your your Disney... your opinion of it is is uh, is new ground. So no, I guess that's true. Like you know, there are yes, of course there are, dear Disney. <laughs> fanatics out there i was like i was just like on the internet a while ago and i saw this quiz that was like oh because i was looking up something some like specific thing about a disney movie i saw this thing that was like this is the hardest disney quiz you'll ever take it was on like this person who has a whole disney website okay i was like okay i'll take that quiz and i got like one question right out of 20 (laughs) because every single question was like was like uh in what year did they start developing the story for Cinderella? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know that. I thought it's... these were gonna be like in story questions. Even then, it would be like, <laughs> I'd be like, what thing did uh, Flora say when she was getting mad at Fauna and Meriwether um, when Briar Rose had gone out for a walk on her own? I was like, Ah, like I cannot remember like specific details like that. <laughs> those are all characters from Sleeping Beauty, right? Yeah, those are the um the the witches or the Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether are the the fairies, the yeah. good fairies, okay. and then Briar Rose is um the princess Aurora. So now, when you watch that movie, who's to blame in that film? What do you mean, who's to blame? Is the is the wicked witch or whatever she is the bad fairy? Maleficent. Maleficent is she? Is she? The victim of this whole thing? She wasn't invited to the christening? I mean, she's kind of a jerk. <laughs> like, I think like I think that it's, like, I don't know. You know, there's that movie that came out a few years ago with Angelina Jolie, and its whole thing was like, they were mean to her. Yeah. And I was like, okay, like, I get it. <laughs> you know, like, you go to invite every kid in your class to your birthday party or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. like, I don't know. Like, if I was ha- throwing a party, yeah. and there was someone... I knew who was evil. Like yeah. their whole bit is like, I'm the evil one. I probably <laughs> wouldn't invite them. Yeah. Yeah. Like. It's okay when I, they're little. Yeah. It's okay when they're little, but when they're, when you're a teenager, then you have to start like making choices over who's coming to your party. Yeah. And like. You don't invite everyone. Not every kid goes to every party. Yes. I know that for, from experience. Right. So you have to I make mean, choices. I, I personally found that in elementary school as well, but. Not every kid goes to every party. No. Well, yeah, like a bunch of jerks. But you know what? I, the uh, yeah. So you have to. But still, if they okay, well, she's kind of a she's kind of a jerk, really. Yeah. And also, she was really bad for the spinning the spinning wheel industry in that <laughs> kingdom. Sure was. 
really sure was was more damaging than COVID-19. Yeah. And like, where where are people, how are people spinning their wool now? (laughs) You know, like how do they go to the neighboring neighboring city or neighboring country or whatever? I think it would be the neighboring kingdom. Kingdom, I guess. Yeah. Like, do people not just have new clothes anymore? Yeah. It's amazing that there's a, like you think of a time period where their land was so plentiful that no one like, decided to go in there and like clear out all the the brambles and stuff that were littering the place and like move into the palace or something. Right. I mean, I think in the movie, if I can remember, it's like it's pretty immediate. The bramble thing? Well, the bramble thing and then him going, the prince. Oh, okay. Oh, him coming there. Yeah, like I think in... Oh, I thought she I thought she lays lays there like for 100 years or something. No, 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 that's in the original. Oh, okay. Okay. In the original story, but in the movie, yeah. um they meet Briar Rose and, and Prince Philip. Oh, that's right. That's because right. in the movie, they are... So in the movie, she is cursed. And the fairies say, okay, we will take her. We will raise her in the woods. Yeah. We'll live our lives as um, like peasants and raise her together. Yeah. Which, okay, love it. Gay. Super gay. Love that. Um, <laughs> and uh, her parents, I guess, are like, okay, I guess this way she'll live. Right? Yeah. And the plan is that... Well, okay, dumb plan that they're gonna like have a sixteenth birthday party for her on her birthday. Yeah. And then bring her back to the palace and then she's gonna get married to Prince Philip. Yeah. And she's like, I don't wanna get married to Prince Philip. I wanna get married to this guy who I met in the woods. Who is Prince Philip? <laughs> yeah. Of He's course. Prince Philip. Yeah. And then Prince Philip says, I'm in love and they're like, Oh, with Aurora, this girl you're gonna marry? And he was like, Nope, with this girl I met in the woods, who again is Aurora. <laughs> and so they don't want to get married. Yeah. And the parents are like, No, you gotta get married. And yeah. they get mad. And then Aurora is at the palace and she finds the um the spinning wheel. The one spinning wheel that wasn't destroyed. Well in the great Melissa, spinning wheel Melissa massacre. brought it in there and lured her up there. Oh an enchanted and spindle. Then she pricks her finger. Yeah. And Philip had run away to go and find the girl that he loves, I think. Yeah. And so he's not in the palace, but his his family is mm. for this big wedding. Yeah. That was also going to happen on her 16th birthday, which like, come on, guys, wait a day. <laughs> you know, like I get you're excited, but just like wait until this curse is <laughs> completely gone. So this curse situation is gone. And, yeah. Yeah. And go. They're really asking um, for it. Yeah. Right. And, and also, again, didn't invite Melissa. Oh dear, we were um, really breaking up. Sorry, they didn't invite Melissa. They didn't even invite her to the sixteenth birthday party. No, they didn't. Which, like, again, fair because you know she's evil. That's her whole bit. Yeah, yeah. Is that she's evil. But um, when you know that, like, you know, and you know, like, an evil person got really upset when you didn't invite them last time. You think you'd be like, okay, I know she's a jerk. I know she's gonna like, you know, put you know, go to the bathroom and not flush it. Right. I know she's gonna like, she's you know, gonna complain not bring about a gift. She's not gonna bring a gift. Or she's going to take someone else's gift and pretend it's hers. She's going to change oh, the yeah. name on it. You know, she, you know that she's going to like. She's going to uh, like block a bunch of people in with her car and then like not right. move when they need to leave. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> like we know she's a bad guest. She's going to get like sloppy drunk and then fall asleep on your bed and won't uh, leave. She's not going to take off her shoes. She's going to tr- yeah. walk all over the house with her with her shoes on. Yeah. Ugh. We just got new carpets. But still, we should invite her because she, she like so d- won't upset. tell you what her dietary restrictions until the day of, and then get mad that you don't have it. You haven't prepared like a four course meal just for her. <laughs> yes, all the all these things. These are all these these are all good. I like. I oh, like and this. she uh, also she cursed your daughter. 
well, yeah, we know that, but but we're gonna overlook that. You know, it's kind of like like say you have a bad neighbor, and uh, you know, one day they tell you where you can go. Yeah. And but you have to overlook that, right? You got to get past that. Right. This is the message to my neighbor across the street. You have to get past that, <laughs> and you just gotta kind of like bygones be bygones. And when we have you know when we have like a block party barbecue in the summertime, uh. You don't fight with them. Yeah, I don't make a fuss about it. You just gotta like, you know, you know, whatever. Like it's it's not it's not that person's fault that they're evil. You know, they still have to get invited to the block party, right? So so um yeah, it feels like they made some mistakes there. And then wh- when when the curse happens, when when Sleeping Beauty pricks her finger and goes to sleep, <laughs> it's not it's not immediately though, because like isn't everyone gone and like the whole like the whole kingdom is shut down and it's all covered with brambles, or is it just the castle? Like where do the king and queen uh, go? Where do the king and queen go? Uh oh yeah so okay so they so she pricks her finger mm-hmm. and then um they the so the fairies um put a spell on everyone in the kingdom causing them to sleep until uh, the spell is broken. I see. Okay. Okay. Um oh and I I realized that I was wrong. Maleficent had actually abducted. She kidnapped Prince Philip. Ah. Okay. Um. Because he, she knows that he is like the one true love, yeah, yeah, who can break the curse. Because that was, um, because at the beginning, uh, when so the one, the three fairies were like giving their gifts, and the two fairies gave gifts of like beauty and singing or whatever, yeah. And um, the third, oh, and then Maleficent cut in and was like, "Your daughter's gonna prick her finger on a spindle and she's gonna die before she turns sixteen, yeah, and." And then she left. And then the third fairy was like, I'm going to, I can't get rid of it, but I can change it. So she said that she was going to change it to make it so that she would fall asleep. Yeah. Until uh, only to be woken by uh, true love's kiss. Mm. Right. So mm. Maleficent knew that. So she, she took Philip, but then he, I think the fairies help him get out. Yeah. And then he fights Maleficent as a dragon and then he goes back and then he wakes her up and then everyone in the castle wakes up. Hmm. Okay. But yeah, in the original story, it's like, Hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. But I think there was a version of the original story that I heard where everyone in the castle turned to stone. I see. I don't know. I don't know. So when they put the kingdom to sleep, does that mean they put all the animals to sleep as well? So like, like yes. while, while they're sleeping, the animals, like a bear wouldn't come and eat you? Yeah. Or not a bear. And all, all, your, all, your, and... all your cows wouldn't die. Yeah, yeah. You could wake up the, yeah. whole, the whole country. <laughs> this is a giant mess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think that you should go back and kind of like just sort of do like an overview, like figure out, figure out in your mind, you know, when you have some time, just think about it and think about like themes that are recurring mm-hmm. and think about kind of tropes that the Disney like to use, like sort of stylistic ticks that kind of follow through the films or maybe, maybe change over time, like sort of trends that, that come and go or, or kind of are introduced in it to, later films and then those kind of are are superseded by the next set of films and stuff like that something to think about anyway i think it'd be interesting i mean there's definitely like lots of um of yeah like tropes and stuff Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and i mean the other thing is most of their stories are like based on things right like most of them aren't like fully original ideas no, they're out. Yeah, they're usually adapted there's, from somewhere. There's like a couple yeah. of um, exceptions. Yep, yep. But yeah, those and Alice in Wonderland, for example. 
Okay, well, obviously not. Um, Peter but Pan. Sal- Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros. Okay. That's all, like, that's all they have. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, original. What original minds at Disney. Right. But I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they also, they often took from like, um, you know, pretty sort of niche ideas or like stories, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think I want to say that uh, The Emperor's New Groove is, is uh, an original story. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, The Emperor's New Groove is an original story as well. So is Dinosaur, which I have not seen. Pocahontas. Okay, no, it's not. Uh, Brother Bear is original. Home on the Range, unfortunately original. <laughs> Bolt is original. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, uh, no. yeah I think Pixar kind of kickstarted that idea lately. Yeah, Wreck-It Ralph is original. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zootopia, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, yeah, like it, it definitely is, a more modern. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally, totally. The Princess and the Frog. Imagine that. Okay. No, not. Not original. Not original. No. Oh. Are you joking? Well, I just think like the story shape of it, like having a New Orleans with. Uh... Well, okay, but I mean that's all of their stories, right? Like all of their stories are like very loose adaptations. Yeah, I guess you're right. Of the original about, thing, how right? The, like, in... how about the Fox and the Hound? Fox and the Hound. Is no, that... Fox and the Hound is based on a story. Oh, okay. Um, but like mm. in The Little Mermaid, she doesn't turn into foam at the end. No, no. You know? But yeah, like The Black Cauldron is based on the Chronicles of Pride Dane. Okay. By okay. Lloyd Alexander, which were published yeah. annually from 1964 to 1968. It's a <laughs> pentology of children's high fantasy buildings roman no- novels. <laughs> buildings roman, okay. Yeah, like they're not... You know, I mean, you know, Robin Hood yeah. is like a, an original, or like not, sorry, Robin Hood is like no, a you're right. They're, thing. Uh, but they, they really do, uh, they really did like the, to take from a, a known, I mean, originally, obviously it was because it was cheap to do Snow White, yeah. Oh, Pin- yeah. Pinocchio, things like that that were out, outside of copyright, they could just kind of mm-hmm. take and have fun with, but, but yeah, they, they, I have feel nothing, like, they have nothing to do with each other, obviously. Yeah. And like, I feel like the things that they, um, that they do with the stories are, are pretty you know they they i mean like at this point they feel sort of tired to us because we've seen them a million times because they they did them already right yeah yeah but like i was reading about um about the production of cinderella and it took them like six years to write that story yeah um and yeah there was one at one the other thing is like these screenplays are written by like 10 people <laughs> like every single one there's like so yeah. many people writing on them yeah and there's this one guy who had said that he wanted like a much feistier cinderella and he had like written a scene where she like threw her shoes at at her at the stepsisters and the stepmother okay and stuff and that was uh turned down <laughs> yeah 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 people who well we well, bill pete would be an example of someone who kind of bridled under the res- the restrictions of of disney mm-hmm. creating disney yeah totally and talks about like doing their Jungle Book, which was like a darker, more realistic, much kind of more somber film than than the kind of goof 'em up that came out of the as the eventual. Yeah, it feels like I mean, it feels so Disney. Yeah, it's kind of a story of many things. Like like the beginning of Disney, where he's doing Snow White, and it's like a super big risk. And basically, if it failed, that would have been the end of the Walt Disney Studios. Uh, but it's still like an interesting film. It's kind of different than anything else you would have seen at that time. Mm-hmm. And Fantasia is like this weird risk-taking thing that's unlike anything else that that they ever did, really. 
Right. Well, but I at mean, some point, they got really safe feeling, you know, like they yeah. stopped taking I risks. Mean, yeah. So, like Cinderella was another one that like they were like, this is going to make or break the studio. Okay. Right. Because that was like they released it in 1950. Okay. The five movies that they had put out before that were all um, were all uh, like wartime um like hybrid musical and like package films okay yeah yeah um so yeah because they put out saludos amigos the three caballeros make my music fun and fancy free melody time and the adventures of ichabod and mr toad yeah right so they're all like short stories like easy to write and and create because they're very small and And then you just like put them all together with some narration to (laughs) say like here's what we're talking about next yeah yeah you know um, and they put out a bunch of those, but yeah, because it was wartime, no one was going to see movies. Yeah. Right. And the company was like totally in the tank. <laughs> and so they like, and they you had know, the strike, I guess as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, for Cinderella, it was like, yeah, they were like, you know, this might be the last thing we ever do. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, they got to a part, a point where Disney's like a, it's a household name, right? Like they know, and they have so many fans yeah. that are just built in now. Right. Yeah. Like, people who, like, I don't know, I don't know, Dad, if you know how crazy people on the internet are for Disney, but, like, <laughs> no, I don't. there are grown adults who have Disney-themed weddings, uh, you know? There yeah. are, like, people who go to Disneyland, Disney World, like, every year, people who, yeah, like, see and own every movie, all these people with, like, Disney blogs, <laughs> um people just love it and like you know i get why like it's a very like disneyland disney world it's a very like magical place right it's like childhood very very comforting yeah 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 that's it it's comforting Mm. um but yeah but like because of that you know i think that they feel very confident in themselves well to a degree but i feel like i guess it was i guess in the 60s it was like they needed money for the theme parks and stuff like that because you know, they're just kind of pumping out movies that oh, yeah. are obviously des- designed to, like, appeal as much as possible. To There's not going to take any risks, you know, like The Jungle Book. Although we can't do, like, a somber thing that might not be a success. We have to have, like, a goof up that's going to make sure that it's going to make a lot of money with a bunch of songs that are, po- you know, appealing to people and yeah. keep, the, keep the ball rolling. We need money for, for Epcot. Yeah, and I mean, they had so many movies in a row that were just, like, animal-based. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, kids like animals. <laughs> Right, like it was only in like the late eighties and nineties when they started to um, break out of that. Do sort of like bigger movies like The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's an interesting uh, documentary about about that period on uh, Disney Plus. Oh yeah, just kind of detailing like the kind of from the Fox and the Hound Hound era, like how oh, yeah. how down at heels the animation department was at Disney. Like it even yeah. like got, it got moved out. They got moved out of their their building they'd been in for years and years, so they could make office space for someone like a Bet Midler or something. That someone came to the studio anyway, and they just like they cleaned out the animation department and just moved them to some outlying warehouse district, you know. So <laughs> and so they could like house this new celebrity that they'd signed to a few for, for some pictures, right. and like yeah, everything was like going downhill, and then. And then Michael Eisner came to the studio, and then they they decided, you know they started concentrating on animation again, and started putting more thought into it. And Jeffrey Katzenberg arrived, who was like a a real demanding jerk, but someone who could motivate the animators, and started like you know, yeah, it's really it's an interesting story. You should you should check mm-hmm. it out. And I mean, you know, your animation department is going to put out crap 
if that's what you give them. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. They right? were, like, like, it was not, completely demoralized as well. Like, yeah, like, they're no... not going to make gold if you're not giving <laughs> them, like, the freedom and, um, yeah, the, like, the, the budget. The budget yeah. and, yeah, like, the, um, yeah, like, you need to, you need to give them something yeah. to get back that, that good stuff, right? Like, yeah, like, if, yeah, if you're not giving them time and money and, um, but it's probably that. I think also that they kind of lost direction as to what what made a good Disney movie as well. Because mm-hmm. I think when when Katzenberg arrived, they were doing the Black Cauldron, <laughs> and he watched a screening of it. He wasn't there when they when they made it, but he was there for like the the first screenings and stuff like that. And he said he said, "Well, this movie is way too dark. We need to edit this." And they're like, "Well, we can't edit an animated movie." He goes, "Oh yeah, you can. I'll show you." <laughs> he started cutting <laughs> stuff out of it. So yeah, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, he he was quite a. See, he was quite a sea change there. Is obviously when you watch the, the movie, you can see there's a bit of resentment when he arrives, just because he brought a different, different sort of thinking to the to the. Right. But he's the one who's responsible for bringing the Little Mermaid and. Yeah, and is it? That that's stuff. interesting because, um, the next movie was The Great Most Detective, which I think of as also a kind of dark movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, things are probably in, in the works, but I think at the same time, that was a movie when it came out that, and I remember going to see it in the theater. Ian, Ian and I went to see it together with a friend. The Great Mouse Detective or The Black Cauldron? The Great Mouse Detective, yeah. Okay, yeah. Because it, there was some hype behind it. Right. And there was a feeling like this was a new Disney that you're seeing. Like this was a return to form. Oh, yeah. In terms of story. And also it had the first use of, of computer animation in a, in a, a major animated movie as well. All right. The, all the clockwork sequences were done mm-hmm. with that, with uh, computer animation. And so that it, so it had like a certain draw to it you know in terms of like interesting technically but also you know it was, it was talked about as like being a return to form and a return to, to the old disney values and stuff like that of making a movie and so and it does have dark elements to it but i feel like it's still it's not it's not like a scary movie it's not scary like the black cauldron was going to be scary like it wasn't off-putting to children you know what i mean right well i mean there is that one-legged bat <laughs> i don't remember actually and there's that scene you, when I'm, they're in the toy um, store, the okay. toy factory. Okay. And the little girl mouse is having to hide and the bat's stomping around with his one his one peg leg. You found that scary? Yes. <laughs> adult much, Mary? Um, <laughs> but I think, uh, yeah, to be honest, I haven't seen that movie since I saw it in the theater. So that's been, that's a while ago. Right. Um, we did have it on VHS. What's, what's kind of funny is, yeah, I never watched it. What's kind of funny is, um, is the extremes of culture that day? We went to a the Vancouver Museum and we saw an Ed- Edvard uh, Munch exhibit. Okay. Of his paintings and stuff like that, you know, the scream and whatnot. And we went from that to see the Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> it's kind of funny. High and low art, or I'd like to think of them, <laughs> high art. They're both high art. Right. But anyway, Mara, let's let's move on from Disney. Even though I find this fascinating, because I I always find things your your interests are fascinating to me, of course. So I guess because I'm your dad. But, I guess so. <laughs> but I do think you should uh, seriously think about about because even your thoughts, like just us talking about it, I think is really interesting. So if you want, if you want to, like not on air, but if you just want to kind of hash it out one day together, I'd be happy to. Talk, oh sure, talk yeah, to you about it's, it. it's an interesting idea. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it'd be really cool. All right, so let's uh, let's go on to our music music part of the show. Now that we're, whoops, I almost fell over. Now that we're 50 minutes in, we should probably get to the music. All right, I'm just going to move my chair. Okay. As you know, the day I uh, bought... And I, I just want to say we're actually yeah. probably like 25 minutes in. Oh, okay. That's right. Because we had to, we had a couple of breaks of... Uh... Yeah, we had a, we had some technical difficulties. Yeah, that's true. So to restart the call. Yeah. Um, 
I don't. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But my chair that I'm sitting in, just so listeners know, I the day I bought it, I bought it. It was a used chair. I bought it at a furniture store. It's kind of it's a nice chair. It's very comfortable. It's that office chair, one of those kind of metal ones with the chrome, the chrome everything, and then it has the the kind of uh, hammock like seat. Like it's not it's not supported by anything. It's just kind of across, you know you know what I mean, right, Mary? Like a mm-hmm. leather. The seat is just kind of like a, a, a like a sling or whatever. Right. It's very comfortable. I, I do like sitting in. It's great for coloring in because I don't I don't get uncomfortable sitting in it. But the problem is, is the day I bought it, we had to like we had to like maneuver it around to fit it into the Volvo, which <laughs> is just a sedan. Like it, could, it couldn't fit in the trunk, so I had to put it in the back seat. And as I was maneuvering it, it slipped out of my hands and fell on the ground and broke one of the wheels off. It just like shot off down the street like twenty yards. It felt like just like a clunk, spoo, pew went away like a missile and i was just like ah so ever since then i've had this chair missing one one wheel <laughs> and this is the same thing that happened when i was doing the show with ian is that it was on my right right hand side there was no wheel so whenever i'd lean on the arm of the chair while i was talking the chair would chair would fall over sideways and i go clunk so so that has happened yes I've, so, I've witnessed that yeah so i just i decided to move it so now it's at the back so i never like it doesn't for whatever reason, like I guess because it it's it um, reclines, it doesn't t- tilt backwards, so it's safer that way. But if it's on the sides, I'll, I'll fall over, or if it's on the front, I'll fall forward. But anyway, other than that, it's super comfortable. Other than it making me fall over, so, I don't fall on the ground. It's kind of like tilt. This kind of slow tilt sideways, like kind of like oh, I think I'll relax. But anyway, all right. So mare side two. I made big promises last week, by the way. I don't know if you remember, or not last week, but uh, last episode. I made oh, big I, prom- I made big promises. I, I said that this that side two was even better than side one. Oh, right. Okay, I do remember that. And you said, "Oh, big, big, big claims, Dad." But I do <laughs> think that I think that this CD like builds up to to like a, a to, like it starts off good and then it gets better. That's my feeling. So um, I'm gonna put my money where my mouth is, and I'm gonna play some songs, and people can judge judge whether I'm correct or not. I suppose. But I do think okay. this is like so. A, you're just like describing our podcast. Yeah, and okay. I do. I do think. I do think that. Uh, I don't know if you agree with me, but I do think it's like a pretty strong side too. Oh yeah, no, it's great. Oh okay, okay, glad you agree. Um, I'll tell you right now. Side the next the next. I was looking at uh, the the second mixtape I made for Pierce. Okay. It's bonkers. I don't know what I was thinking about. It's just a crazy mix of. Well, I don't know what I was doing. So okay. it's just a weird one. It's just, it was like a get her done. I don't know what I was. I don't know where I was. Where I was on that one. It's, it's weird. Right. So I haven't listened to it yet. I'm really curious to listen to it and just. And I might be like, oh, okay, it's weird choices, but it's really pleasant, you know, combination of stuff. So I'm kind of kind of looking forward to listening to that one. But in the meantime, I was listening a lot to to this this uh, mixtape, and I thought it was really good, until for some reason my my um, CD my CD that I burnt of it stopped working in the car. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? It sort of deteriorated to the point where I just stopped reading it. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, the I have an old car, right? So it's uh, right. It's the CD player. What year's not... your car? Two thousand four. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's pretty old. Yeah, I mean, it's sixteen years. Yeah, yep. Yeah. In a couple of years, we'll replace it. I'm sure. In the meantime, live and live, live with it. So let's start, Mary, with uh, the first song on side two. That's how I like to start things, and you in. Uh, in, se- in sequence uh and this is the vines from 2002 from their their f- debut album highly evolved and this song is mary jane so let's uh give it a listen are you ready are you ready mary for this song i am ready let's listen to it okay here we go
All right, and we're back. And Mare, mm-hmm. as is custom, yes, I'm going to ask your uh, opinion of this song. Okay. Um, I actually... Oh, you thought it really tiring. I'm yawning. I actually... (laughs) (laughs) I actually wanted to ask you something, Dad. Okay. Which was, this song was on a mixtape when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember what else was on that mix? I don't know. I think... I could look it up in my book. I might have it written down in it. I think that... Um, a Laura Veers song, I think Icebound Stream. Yeah, might have been. Was in on that same mix. Okay. Huh. I can't remember what else was on there though. I can't. I can't see my little exercise book that I normally. Sorry. Huh. I was cleaning. I was cleaning the shop the other day. Mm-hmm. And I I moved a bunch of stuff around just to. Oh. Ah, here we go. So I didn't do it all <clears throat> every all the time, but for a while there, I did write down when I made mix tapes. I would write down. What was on them? Uh, not that one. Huh. Yeah, I don't see it here. Sorry. Oh, yeah, this was a good one. This one had some good stuff on it. Did you find it? No, not the vine, so. Oh, okay. (laughs) This is just another good one. I was admiring my choices. (laughs) All right, everyone. Sorry to bore you with that. I'm going to edit out most of this. I I assume you're going to edit that out, Dad. Not all of it. Just some of it. (laughs) Okay. Um... But okay, the reason I was asking that yeah. is because I have such a vivid memory of listening to that song um, <laughs> when I was like around 10 or 11, Yeah, and I was in mom's old Durango. Okay. I was sitting in the back seat. Yeah. We were driving down the street that the library is on, because I think we were coming back from a library book sale. Okay. And I just got some good books. <laughs> so you're pretty excited. I was pretty excited. And I remember hearing that song. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just, I love that song so much. <laughs> and I remember being very happy to be listening to such a good song yeah. on such a good day. That's cool. It must have been, it was a tape though, right? It wasn't a, a CD? Uh, oh, it might've been a CD actually. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Because that Durango had a tape player and a CD player. Yeah, yeah. That was handy. Inter- anyway, so one of those ones. One of what mm-hmm. superstars of 1890s or something. One of those ones I gave a funny name to. Yes, yeah. Rock rock my girdle. Rock your girdle. Rock your girdle, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Then there's one I made look like the friend of a religious album and called He Loveth Youth. Oh, yes. And then, um, and then yeah, the one I made look like, look like a KTEL album called Superstars of 1890. Mm-hmm. And I like put all these pictures of uh, like old these old pictures of people from the from the Victorian era, and gave them silly names for, as bands. Mm-hmm. Man, I had a lot of time at work in those days. <laughs> I could really really spend some time was with the that, computer. Yeah, I guess that was like was that parking lot or um... no? That was when I was working at Sunburst. Oh yeah, I would just if I had spare moments in the in the warehouse, I would just sit at the computer and uh, use the expensive design. Software that was on it to, <laughs> to make, to make album covers fake, for fake album covers tape. for CDs. You should. I don't know if yeah. we still have those, um, but I, you should try I to do. find them and put put them on the website. The images. Yeah. Yeah, I should actually. Yeah, I think I I do have Rocket Girdle up in, in the in the in my bedroom for some reason. I was looking at it the other day. Superstars of eighteen nineties. Yeah, I don't know. I I must have them somewhere. Ho- hopefully, hopefully, I didn't throw them away. Yeah. 
I mean, I can't imagine that we would throw them away, but things do get lost. That's true. Especially in, in our house. Yeah. Still can't find uh, still can't find local rabbits. You can't touch this. That's so weird. I know. I know. It's weird. So if any, if any listeners out there happen to find it in a used CD store, uh, buy it for me and I'll pay it back. If it's cheap. So Did you say if it's cheap? Yeah, I don't want you to spend like a bunch of money on it. but Oh, I thought yeah. you meant you would pay them back if it was cheap. No, I just mean... Like, <clears throat> otherwise you wouldn't pay them back. No, no, I didn't mean like that. I mean, if it's a reasonable price, if you pick it up for me, I'll, I'll for sure I'll pay you back. Okay. Because uh, uh, I'd love to have that in my collection again. Okay, uh, the vines, Mary. Yes, let me, let me the tell vines. You, let me tell you about the vines. The tell vines, me about the vines. The vines come from... Wait, yep. did you say what year the song is from? Or Two, did I just yeah, I, yeah, 2002. I did say that, though. Oh, right, right. Okay. So the vines come from a time when... Record companies could like throw money down a well. Like the 1990s were very, very good to record companies. And there was never a time as great as that for record companies, I don't think. Like the 70s were good, of course. Like there was tons of money because, you know, everyone's buying records and lots of sales. But what the 90s brought was, was new sales, but also old sales because they brought the CD in and the CD they could re, reformat, like repurpose old music into CD form. And resell it to people, right? So, like, like, so you know, hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people, bought Frampton Comes Alive in the 1970s, and that gave record companies lots of money. But in the 1990s, people gave away their Frampton Comes Alive records, and they bought them again on CD, so they could have it in this new pristine format that would last forever and was indestructible. And so, record companies were rolling in money. And I think the Vine story kind of is like, to me, kind of highlights that that. That story because so they, they're from Sydney, Australia. They formed in 1994, and the band it was a band when it started. It basically now is just the frontman, a guy named Craig Nichols, who writes all the songs. And basically, he is like the Vines, and everyone else is just like hired guns that play with him, right? Right. When the band started, though, it was like a real band. It was him and a friend from school, and then a, a fellow friend of the, his friend who played drums, and they put together a band. It was just the three of them. There's their bass player, drummer. And Craig Nichols. And so they originally called themselves Rishikesh, but because it was so often misprinted as Rishi Chasms, they decided they needed to change their name. Why was it why was it so often pr- misprinted like that? I don't know. I guess people couldn't understand what they were saying. Oh, okay. So then they'd say, you know, we're Rishikesh and they'd be like if someone read it out, it'd be like Rishi Chasms, I guess. I don't know what they said. So Rishikesh <laughs> was the, the city where the Beatles went when they went when they went to India to study with the Maharishi. Yeah. That's where they got the name from. And so and so then it was decided they were going to call the group The Vines because Craig Nichols' dad had been in a band when he was younger and it was also called The Vines, only it was spelled with a Y because that showed you that it was the 60s. Right. Cause, and everyone in the 60s could not um, spell. Everyone in the 60s could not spell. That's Hence, right. Beatles, Birds. <laughs> exactly. Or sorry, right. E.G. Beatles, Birds. <laughs> exactly. E.G. E dot G dot period, or a comma the Beatles and the birds. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and then desp- despite like playing very infrequently and being relatively unknown, even in their hometown, they had like, they kind of built up a repertoire over time. They had like 30 songs of original tunes and uh, a, a small independent label o- released a single in 2001, which then became Enemy's single of the week. And then suddenly the band is in Los Angeles. They get flown to Los Angeles to record their first album. Like, doesn't that seem crazy to you? Yeah, it does. But I think there's just so much money, the record companies are like, wee! <laughs> and so 
they uh yeah they get flown to los angeles they get you know they get assigned a producer this guy named rob schnapp who uh worked with tom rothrock who we were talking about with with sloan doing um remember we talked about him with sloan anyway right. he also they also produced they worked with elliot smith um they produced either or and uh, figure eight and stuff so so they, you know, and actually Rob Snap played uh, guitar on Baby Britain, which we've played in the show as well. So Yes, I played that one. Yeah. Have and you played it too or did I just play it? I think I played it as well. I think we've we've had it come around twice. Oh right, okay. Both of us playing. Yeah. So so yeah, so they made this this album. It's a pretty good album and they had a big hit with uh Outa the Way, it's called, which was like a kind of a, a rock also and a very good song. Kind of grudge. Yeah, it's a fun song. And um yeah, so the, and I went to see them live at the Commodore, and that was the show I saw that convinced me that I would never again go see a show that was sponsored by a, a local rock radio station. Cause okay, I, why? Just because it was just too many jocks, like too many jerks at the show. Oh, yeah. Like, you have shows that are, like, for music fans, you know, that hear about a band through various means, and they go to the show, mm-hmm. and, and they're music music nerds to a degree. And then, but then you have shows that are, like, people hear about it on the radio, and they're like, oh, that sounds awesome. I'm going to go, man. We're going to have a mosh pit at the front, smash into each other. It's going to be so great. You know, so you get a bunch of guys stepping on your foot at the front of the stage. And blah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I didn't really enjoy that show. And that, this is way too, way too guy-y. Bro-y. Too bro-y, yeah. Like, bros didn't exist then, but they did exist. They, just didn't, yeah. know they, they didn't know they were bros. Right. In those days, the expression was bros before nose, because they didn't know they were bros. Oh, I thought because they had noses. <laughs> Their noses were behind them. <laughs> that was a problem with those guys. Yeah. They had backwards noses. Bros mm-hmm. before a nose. You're no. very insecure. <laughs> so they had to make up for it by being uh, being all masculine and testosterone mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, did you say testosterone or testosterone I think I said testosterone <laughs> But you're right. It's, it's a pepperoni version of testosterone. <laughs> That's right. It's a tasty treat. <laughs> Grab a snack. Testosterone um wait what's wrong what's gross about it everything the concept it's more manly Hmm. yes it's more testosterone because because pepperoni is is uh known as a very (laughs) feminine treat (laughs) we need to we need to masculinize uh, yeah we do we need to make pepperoni more masculine before guys can eat it mare yes have you ever eaten pepperoni have you ever had a pepperoni stick i have exactly we don't want girls eating it oh Okay. Only yeah. for guys. Testaroni. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Let's see. Uh, I'll have, how about a? I'll, here's a here's a jingle for it. Ready? Testaroni, the fragile eagle guy's food. <laughs> That's a good jingle. Thanks. Well, I don't. Well, good. It's maybe a. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> you get you get what I'm saying. <laughs> sure. Shall we move on to our next song? Yeah, we can. Scout keeps walking up to the glass door with her stick and looking at me. Oh, like, what are you doing? Can you come out here? <laughs> I've got a stick. I got a stick. I know you guys like sticks. She's like, I have a stick, and why are you in there? <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, so uh, let's give a listen to the next song, and then you can go and uh, throw throw a scout stick over the fence. No, it's fine. Uh, this is the Stranglers, Mary. The Stranglers. Yeah. From Uh-oh. <laughs> what's wrong? They're they're gonna strangle. Oh, okay. Uh, from this is from 1977, mm-hmm. and the song is called "Grip." Um, I believe it's called "Bracket Get A" and "Bracket Grip Bracket On Yourself" and "Bracket." I know "Grip." So here we go, everyone. This is 
<laughs> the Stranglers, from 
Okay, so that was bracket, get A, and bracket, grip, bracket, on yourself, and bracket, yes. by the Stranglers. That's correct. You well, can't ignore the brackets, Dad. <laughs> they just called it grip. No, they called it bracket, <laughs> get A, and bracket, grip, yeah. bracket, on yourself, and bracket. Yeah, that's true. That's what they called the song. They titled it that. Yeah, they did. They did. I think it's a great use of brackets, by the way. Um. Yeah, it is. I think it's probably the most bracketed song ever that's ever been made. <laughs> Just because so much of so much of the song is in bracket, like "Get a Grip on Yourself" is in the song, right? And it's not like there's another song called "Get a Grip on Yourself." No, like there's no reason to put it in brackets. They but it's just... it's so great that it's in brackets, so I love it. So it's from their from their debut album, actually. Radis Norvegicus uh, came out on that their, that first album. But um, Mare, what do mm-hmm. you think? What do you think of uh, Grip? Or, as you like to call it, bracket, get a bracket, grip, mm-hmm. bracket, mm-hmm. on no, yourself, no, no. bracket. Bracket, get a, end bracket, <laughs> okay. grip, bracket, on yourself, end bracket. All right. I, did, I left out the end bracket. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, it's a very fun song. I like it a lot. Me too. I really like the song. And I did try to, you know, I did try to avoid songs that I think of as being well-known. And I, yes. to me, I think this song is a well-known song. Mm, yeah, probably. But then... I was thinking, like, Pierce is younger than me. He's from the States. He maybe hadn't heard it before. And so right. I thought he'd enjoy it. That was my thinking anyway. Also, I really like this song, so I just put it on. Yeah. It's a favorite of mine. Uh, so yeah, wait, like where, really where are the Stranglers from? Are they Canadian? No, they're not. Oh. They're from uh, Britain, actually. Oh, okay. They started, actually, their original name was the Guilford Stranglers. Okay. The band was formed in 1974, and it's sort of interesting because. And then Guilford had some bad luck. Why? Because they had a strangler. Oh. The Guilford Strangler, and then they had to change their band name. They had to change their band name. That's right. They inspired someone. Well, I should do that. Um, so the band was formed actually by the drummer who goes by the moniker Jet Black. That's his name. Okay. First name Jet, last name Black. No brackets. Mm-hmm. No brackets. Okay. Uh, well, I guess I could say bracket Brian Duffy bracket because that or in bracket because that's his name. Right. So he drummed professionally in the late 50s and early 60s, semi-professionally, I should say. And then he left the music biz just because it wasn't really going anywhere for him. And he started like, just became a businessman. Mm-hmm. And he owned a fleet of ice cream trucks. Cool. And he owned an off-license called the Jackpot that he ran. Okay. And an off-license, Mary, is a drinking establishment where you can buy alcohol, but you cannot mm-hmm. drink there. Strange. So a pub would be an on license. Oh, but I guess you can an drink on the premises. Is a liquor store. Exactly. Like a you beer can't wine store. go to a liquor store and then just like start drinking. And That's start why NBC, <laughs> at least, yes. Until recently, they didn't um, sell beer cold. Exactly. Exactly. Which is disgusting to me that they would do that. But, but I guess you'd have to wait till you get home and and, ch- and chill it. Yeah. That's 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 the the idea. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, since uh, Jet Black's wife, his second wife, Helena, left him due to the Stranglers holding rehearsals in their home, uh, the jackpot became their kind of base of operations where they would rehearse and, and, uh, and then and, and do stuff. And yeah, I guess he, he achieved enough financial stability that he felt like he could start a band. It is sort of as a side project to his life. But then it became a very popular band and he, could, he just moved on becoming just a full-time drummer. Um, so they actually had quite a bit of success, you know, like in terms of local scene success in the pub rock scene in, in, in England, which kind of predated the, the punk rock scene, but only not so much musically, 
but only in the sense of of couture and hype. So like punk got all the hype because it was it was so it seemed so transgressive at the time. Like I remember as a kid in the late seventies reading articles in in my local paper's glossy weekend magazine section about the horrors of punk rock in in England and how people had like safety pins in their ears and stuff like that. And I was I was horrified by it, but also titillated, of course, because it sounded so well. <laughs> it's great sounding. Like the music is so wild that. Mm-hmm. And I remember being thrilled when I when I uh, was taking a class in, in cartooning, a night, cl- a night course in cartooning with a friend, and our teacher had a safety pin in her ear. Whoa. And I was like, oh my God, is she a punk rocker? This is amazing, because really, actually, she looked like a, like a hippie. But mm-hmm. I thought, I thought she must be like a punk rocker. She's So I asked her. <laughs> mm-hmm. I asked her if she was a punk rocker. Okay, I was in grade seven, all right? I asked her if she was a punk rocker, and she said, she said, no, I lost my earring, and I, so I had needed something to uh, <laughs> keep the ear hole. Uh, I guess she was a poor art teacher, so she didn't have money to, well, to buy a, a, an earring. She was uh, a teacher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not, not an official teacher, just a teaching a night class. Oh, like right. A, like, yeah, you said yeah, that yeah. night class. So, um, yeah, it, yeah. But anyway, so... So they were one of the few bands that uh, were able to make that transition from being part of the pub rock scene to become part of the punk scene. Hmm, cool. Basically, they did that by just shedding all their softer numbers. So they just kind of right. concentrated on their their like more, you know faster songs and take out the slower, more tender moments, get rid of that garbage, and straight on uh, just punk. And so they they uh, also they were used as the opening act for the Ramones when they came and toured in England and also for cool. Patti Smith when she was there. Oh, cool. I think partly because they were one of the few bands that had a repertoire and had some musical ability. Like most of the bands that were starting around that time still were kind of working up themselves as bands and, you know, just, you know, there's a certain level of presentation that they maybe didn't have. And right. so um, at the same time, because of their age, the fact that they're all older than like the scene at the time, they were kind of like the next generation. They were like the the older generation to this new younger generation of punk kids. Even though they're all drawing inspiration from the from the pub rock scene, which was basically the pub rock scene was basically like kind of a stripping back of rock and roll back to its kind of roots. So there's a lot, a lot of like rockabilly influence and and uh, early early sixties rock and roll in 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 the sound that they were they're using. So they were kind of like an alternative to the prog scene and, and and stuff like that, which was much more elaborate and ornate, right? So so punk, of course, was a continuation of that, but it was much more confrontational and also had like music journalists who really became part of the scene and really hyped it as well. And then the fact that it you know, and then all the kind of more like. Um, elements that like i was talking about like the the safety pins and the torn shirts and the all those things like that that you know kind of added this element of of uh, titillation to it as well and so so the stranglers uh, were, were regarded with suspicion though by by like the by the by the journalists themselves and by some people in the punk rock scene because they were older right like jet black was really older He's a guy from the '60s. He was playing music in the early '60s, so he's he was in his his mid 30s by the time this scene was happening. So he was really old, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you think when you're 20, how how really old someone who was 35 felt to you, like uh, or maybe even still, I don't know. But they feel they're older than you, right? They feel like they're a different per- they're from a different time than you are. Yeah, like you, they feel like people who should be like, you know, having kids. Yeah, and yeah. like going to like PTA meetings or, or whatever, you know, <laughs> no, not playing drums in a band. Yeah. And uh, so, 
So they were um, kind of discovered by a producer named Martin Rushant, and he's the one who convinced United Artists, the record label UA, to sign them, and which they did. And so he, but he uh, had them. He pushed them on the label with the prov- prov- uh, proviso that he be the producer of the group. And so he actually produced their first three albums. And then I don't know if they felt that he was useful or not because um, they just went on to self-produce themselves. And one of them was quoted as saying that producers were just guys who sit around and make jokes. And they said, and frankly, we make better jokes than producers. So I don't know if uh, if they felt that he was much use, but uh, he did produce their first three albums. And so um, basically... The album was recorded in a week, and basically it was just—it's like a snapshot of their of their live set of that time, and let's just call it grip. Okay. Um, Not bracket get a and bracket grip bracket on yourself and bracket. Yeah. Okay, so you don't want it, me to call it bracket. <laughs> just kidding. Sorry. Yeah, we could just call it grip. Yeah. So, um, oh, and also the engineer for this for this for this album was Ellen Winstanley. But this time was an engineer. He later became a producer with a, another guy named Clive Langer. They're like a partnership, and they they became like kind of a major force in sort of uh, the independent indie scene in, in in England, particularly with Madness. They were like the producers for the band Madness, who were like here in North America. They had like a a minor hit with Our House, but in England they were like a huge band in their day. They yeah. were so big, Mary. This is how big they were. I'm going to give you an example of how big they were. That if you wanted to buy a button, a Madness button. You couldn't just buy one button. You had to buy a series of buttons that spelled the name Madness to put on your coat. That's how big right. they were. They were, okay. they were. They were a seven-button band. Oof. I know. It's pretty hard that's to imagine. Of, that's now. a lot of buttons. I know. I had I had the set. So, um, yeah. So, they pro- they produced, like, yeah, they produced the Madness. They produced um, Elvis Costello's Punch the Clock album. And then also the album he considers his biggest failure, uh, Goodbye Cruel World. And then uh, he, um, he also produced... Uh, uh, Morrissey's album Kill Uncle. They, they also produced Morrissey's album Kill Uncle, which I don't like that album. What I'm saying is they had their spot, their curse body. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so the the song get a get a grip on yourself or grip, I should say. What's it, is that's what it's called, right, Mary? What grip. it's called grip? Yeah. Well, technically, yeah, it's called bracket yeah. get a and bracket grip bracket on yourself and bracket. Yeah, thank you. And but like yep. that's not too hard to say or anything it's so. not no so it was written by the singer guitarist hugh cornwell and it's based on the band's experience uh it, living in their squat in chittingfold okay which is not chittingfold. even chittingfold yeah it's not even like they weren't even in london in a squat this is how uncool they were they're were like some <laughs> suburb of london in a squat boo suburbs that's yeah. where old people live exactly uh the song feet in the saxophone on the song is played by this guy named eric clark who was a welsh coal miner he wasn't, okay. he, he wasn't even a musician. Like, it wasn't a professional musician. He just happened to be a friend of the band's. Right. And uh, he was brought in to play saxophone on the song. And then, uh, and the other thing I like about this song so much is the is the um, the keyboards in it. David Greenf- mm-hmm. David Greenfield, the guy, the keyboardist name. He really pl- he really plays. Uh, and since I've named everyone but the bass player, I'll say the ba- bass player's name is Jean Jacques Brunel, who um, really put the band in the soup when he punched uh, the journalist John Savage during a press meet- press conference. Yeah. Party foul. Yes, yes. They became they became enemy number one in the British music press, which is not a good place to be. <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, he played this uh, instrument called the Honer uh, Sembalet electric piano. Wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait. Yeah. So 
they were enemy number one, mm-hmm. and the last song was NME's number one. Yeah, that's right. Uh. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Sorry. That's fine. Okay, you can keep talking. You can, thank you for paying attention. Uh, so yeah, the Hohner Cymbalette electric piano, which is which is not like an organ, because an organ, if you press a key on an organ, it goes da until you take your finger off the key, and then it stops. Right. But the Cymbalette electric piano was like a piano in that it it's it's a uh, note faded after you pressed it so it would cue a sound when you press down on the on the, the key but it would fade so it was a re- it, and it was reed based so it was more like a it had more like a kind of a a saxophone sound or something like that right rather than okay. a, and so yeah and so that's the keyboard that he uses uh, i just really love it it's really busy and obviously like really a real show-offy uh part in the song just how like ornate it is but uh that's how we like to play that guy they were more, they were way more influenced by the 60s than they were by by uh by anything from the 70s the the stranglers just because of their age that's kind of where they came from in terms of their sound but yeah it's a good song i think you're right and then mm-hmm. and the very first line of the song i didn't have the money to buy a mary thou or buy a mori thou he says actually i always think it was i always thought it was mary okay but, but it's mori thou which is a morris 1000 a morris minor okay. car it's a type of british car okay so he didn't have the money to even buy a morris car is what he's saying like those cars weren't like considered great so great so yeah didn't have the money to buy a mori thou it's a and then the i feel like bad cars being referenced in music is yeah. is not uncommon yeah probably because we had that in um in deborah by beck as well that's right the hyundai yeah, yeah. At a time when Hyundai's, like now Hyundai's have a certain, are kind of respectable to a degree. But in those days, they were just like a car that you joked about being like dead on the road. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. Let's move on to our next song. Oh, Mary. Oh, yes. You've liked both songs so far. Yes. Let me just mark this down. Well, that's unnecessary because dad. Yeah. I'm going to like most of the most if not all of these songs you know what i'm gonna pre preemptively give the next song a check mark that you liked it oh really well i didn't like it (laughs) you're a liar (laughs) okay what's the song i know you're a big liar because this is a great song song. this is a great song that no one could not like okay well what is it this is the rose garden okay with here's today and uh, this is was a single it was never on an album this is a single only song from 1968 so let's uh give the song a listen everyone Here's today by the Rose Garden.
and we're back. Mary, as yes. I said, I preemptively gave this uh, song a checklist. A check- and I preemptively uh, didn't like it yeah, yeah. because of your assumption. <laughs> Is that right? Yes. <laughs> but how did, no, you, but, how did you actually really, feel about the song? <laughs> it was a very fun song. It's a beautiful song. It's yeah. a great song. It's like it's like the birds came back. It's like the early like the the early you know pre nineteen sixty seven birds just came back for a little visit. Oh yeah, sorry, I was thinking birds, but you're talking B Y R D S. I'm speaking not of the B I R D S. Not not the the band that featured Ron Wood before he joined the Rolling Stones. Oh, sorry, before he joined the the Faces. No, this is uh, or before he was in the Art Woods with his brother. The Artwoods. What a name for a band, hey? His brother's name was Artwood. Mm-hmm. Arthur Wood. So the band was called mm-hmm. The Artwoods. <laughs> anyway, so, um, yeah, no, I just love this song. My name is John Beatle, so I'm going to name my band The Beatles. <laughs> too late. The Did you like the song? And then the message of it is so good, too, right? Just like What's the message? That you have to, like, it's like a carpe diem kind of a, a song message, right? Like, seize the day. You can't. Right. Like, here's today. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. So here's today. This is the day that you should be thinking about. This is the time you should be living your life. It's a good message. It is. It's a good message. Don't live in the past. Don't you can't live in the future. You have to live for today. And it's a mm-hmm. yeah, it's a great message for the song. And like I say, it was uh and here's the sad part of this song, Mary, is that it's so great. This is a great song. And it wasn't even the B side. And the B side for this isn't even that good of a song, I don't think. Oh. Like this was word. this was the hit. And it was hidden on this on the B side of this. Hmm. Of this, of this single. Um, the band was formed... Your chair's squeaking a lot. I know, I know. I need to put some... Uh, I need to put some uh, WD-40 on it. Okay. Not only Just that, thought I'd let you know in case you weren't aware. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm just going to move myself around a little bit here. Just one second. Let's make some noises. So the way my... Oh, I know what it is. Hi. This is better. Um, so, so Mayor, this song... Yes. This band... They actually formed in 1963. Uh, they're formed by lead guitarist John Noreen and guitarist Jim Groshong, and who are joined by drummer Bruce Bodin or Bodine, I guess. Bruce Bodine. Okay. B o u d i n. B o u d i n. Yeah. Boudin. Well, it should be Boudin, but I don't think it. Usually in the states, they they anglicize old French names, so it probably would have been Boudine. Right. And bassist Bill Fleming. And they called themselves the Blokes. The Blokes. And you know why they called themselves the Blokes, right? Because they were a bunch of guys. Mm, but they could have called themselves a the bunch of guys. The reason they called because themselves they're a bunch of British guys. They wanted to pretend they were British guys. Oh, right. Right. Yes. The same reason that Emmett Rhodes' first band was called the Palace Guard. Mm. Why the... this is my band? This is my band, the Lads. Exactly. Why the rich, the Mad Lads? Yeah. Why the original uh, name for the birds was the Beefeaters? Because you wanted people to think you were from England. Because Wait, why is beef eaters English? Because do the, they not eat beef in America? No, but the beef eaters are guards, right? The Queen's guards are called beef eaters. Oh. So yeah, so you're trying to like associate yourself with England, and so uh, then in 1966 they were joined by a singer guitarist named D- uh, Diana DeRose, and they kept the name the Blokes still. They were still the Blokes, even though they had a, a woman in the group. In 1967, though, they became for a short time, Giant Sunflower. Be- okay. Because a pretend band called Giant Sunflower had had a hit song called February Sunshine. 
and there was no band to tour and so they needed a band so they they were hired to pretend they were giant sunflower so and they toured was it just like a um like a a song made by like some yeah studio yeah a producer guy made a you know wrote a song and made it and then it was a big hit right and he like hired some session musicians to to do it and then yeah people yeah. liked it and oh it happened all uh, the time it happened all the time same thing with the grassroots the grassroots originally were just a studio project by two different songwriters uh jeff barry and um pf sloan and then and then when pf sloan from that song yeah yeah and when the, then when the song was a hit they were like oh well we need like a band to tour as the grassroots so then they hired a band to, to pretend they were the grassroots and then the band actually became the grassroots. And later on, they like were writing their own songs, and they were the grassroots. Right. So it's kind of a weird thing, but it wasn't uncommon at that time. Hmm. Like, like for Bubblegum Acts, like there might be like four different 1910 fruit gum companies touring the United States at one time. Oh, right. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I don't think yeah. I, I've ever been under the illusion that it was like a real band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but they would start as a real band. Like they would hire like a real group. But then right. they would just sort of like take it over and like, and much of the group's dismay most likely, like they were just like ignored, all their wishes were ignored and right. they were just hired to like reproduce songs that were like bubblegum songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so then the group was in, um, they were actually demoing the song Feb- uh, February Sunshine and well, the, at the studio at, um, I think it was at, um, oh, I can't remember what it was, Gold, it might have been Gold Recorders. Anyway, one of those classic la studios you know that you you read about gold sound or whatever like um sunset recorders like all those ones that were like you know used by brian wilson and phil Spector and people like that so they were there and they were they were demoing this song and they met charlie green and brian stone who were well known in the la scene because they were the manager producers of the buffalo springfield sunny and Cher, um a band called the daily flash who were big at that time uh, Bob Lind, this folk guy, and then later on they were they produced and were managers of Iron Butterfly, so they were like kind of had their fingers on the in the scene, right? And so, right. So it was kind of lucky for them that they got heard by these guys and they really liked them, so they they signed them to their to their 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 management company, and then they were signed to Atco Records, which was where Buffalo Springfield were located, and it was part of Atlantic Records. Atco was kind of like their 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 not their arm's length label. So if you're on Atlantic Records, you would have been like a black a black artist, probably a jazz artist or, or R&B soul singer. But their rock stuff, they wanted to kind of separate from that class, the class music. So the rock stuff, the, low, the lower class stuff was on ACO, the ACO label. And so, and now the problem for the band though was that once they signed with Green and Stone, uh, and they changed their name around this time, they became the Rose Garden. They They became like, sort of like, the band like the record company's plaything. So the record company would be like, Oh, here's a good song. You guys should record this song. Oh, here's a good song. You guys should try this song. And so they're just recording all these songs that were given to them by the record label. Not even songs that they necessarily liked. They just had to demo them and then and then they didn't realize it, but they're actually making their label a record at the same time. So so the record it's pretty it's a pretty good record, but it um it it suffers a little bit just because it's kind of it doesn't ha- it doesn't have like a follow through you know like it doesn't it feels like it does feel like a bunch of different songs thrown together on a record right it doesn't have like a feel of a one like a of a band's kind of unique vision but the record had a hit it had a number seventeen hit on it called Next Plane to London which was a really big hit and it was sung by Diana DeRose and also had a couple of songs on it by Gene Clark that were given to the band by by Clark that were never recorded by him or by anyone else. So that's kind of interesting. Like he, they they went to a show 
uh, solo show of his after he left the birds and the uh, guitarist Jim Grosham, who apparently was like kind of a, a more kind of friendly guy, went up and was talking to Clark and actually invited him to come and see their band play. And so Clark actually came down and watched them play. And of course, they would, you know, one of the things they did was like they pretty much like covered every bird song from their first three albums. So they were like they started doing like a bird song, and Gene Clark hopped up on stage with them and started playing tambourine and singing along with them. And then he, <laughs> then he gave them these two songs as well. So nice guy, obviously. And yeah. so, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's interesting for that album's interesting in, to that degree is that it has two never, you know, never usually heard Gene Clark songs. And uh, so that's kind of, so that's kind of great. And then, um, then unfortunately the band recorded one more single, which was the, the unsuccessful uh, song, If My World Falls Through. And then this was the B side for it, which was actually written by John Noreen, the guitarist and the band's roadie, whose name was Phil Vickery. They wrote it together. And because they wanted to have their own song on the B-side of the single, since they weren't allowed to have the A-side, but the record label wouldn't let them have that. So unfortunately, after the song came out and wasn't successful, the group fell apart, partly yeah. partly because the ba- there was some inter-band friction between Diana DeRose, who was really kind of gunning to have her own solo career and at the expense of the group. Right. And the group itself, obviously, who were and I mean, been, been together for a long time. It's also not uncommon for bands to fall apart after um, a big flop like this. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's happened with so many bands we've talked about. Sure, for sure. And then also what happened was the drummer and the bassist were drafted. Oh, And yeah. so that that was a big blow as well. So and that was another common problem at that time period. Just for, look at Elvis. For groups. <laughs> well, Elvis was actually orchestrated. Like, he, was, he could have got out of being in the army. Right. But, because there was no draft at that time. But it was felt like a way it would make him more popular. That's what his mm-hmm. manager thought. But that I mean, was a miscalculation. It, no, it worked in a way. It made him more made him more socially acceptable. Like all all that guy was looking for, all Colonel Parker was looking for, was a way to make Elvis Presley intergenerationally popular. Oh yeah, not like not like a only bad boy. yeah, not a bad boy. He wanted him to. He kind of wanted to emasculate him and, and make him more make him more audience friendly. So it wouldn't, right. he wouldn't just be like someone for screaming teenagers. Mm-hmm. And that's why his music musical um, choices changed as well and became less rock and roll and more middle of the road. And especially when he was singing the movies and it was just like this horrible songs after that. <laughs> I mean, I, I am not an Elvis fan. No, generally. it's a different, it's a different generation for me. Like uh, there's, I, I'm not a huge fan either. I've tried to yeah. be, cause, I, cause you know, you hear so much about him and you, it's kind of one of those things that you should like this. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We, um, Duncan and I went on a big road trip a couple years ago and brought a bunch of, we each contributed mini CDs. Yeah. Um, and yeah, one of the ones that Duncan had brought was like a Elvis greatest hits. Oh yeah. And I was like, man, like if these are the greatest hits, <laughs> I I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, don't tell grandma yeah. that uh, opinion. Yeah. Well, yeah. And we were kind of like, that was not a CD that spent a lot of time in rotation. But you also brought the Holy Motor Rounders. Good taste is timeless, so that must have been a an equal equal cultural shock for for him. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I was trying to trying to draw from a wide spectrum of of interests. What is what is this squalling racket we're listening to? <laughs> he really liked um, Spiders in the Moonlight, Jeffrey Frederick. Oh, that's good. Um, and it's great. really liked uh, Hatful of Hollow, The Smiths. Mm-hmm. That's great. Really liked The Laws, self titled The Laws. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Sloan. Good. Can't remember what Sloan I brought. Probably uh, navy blues. Probably navy blues. <laughs> oh, hi everyone. David here. I'm just breaking into the show because while I was editing it, I realized that that I had talked about talked about the Rose Garden covering some Gene Clark songs, and then I did not play one as an as an example. And I'm sure there's some Gene Clark fans out there, and I am I am with you. I'm with you all the way. Gene Clark fans, 100%. So I thought, well, maybe people out there haven't heard uh, these songs. So I thought we'd play one of one of the Gene Clark songs from the Rose Garden album, uh, Long Time. Uh, I think it's a pretty good song, yet given to the Rose Garden and never in any other way used or performed by Gene Clark. Anyway, on, on record, anyhow. So let, here we go. Let's give a listen to Long Time. Should we move on to our next song, Mary? Yes, let's move on to the next song. All right, so this is this band is uh, called Generationals. Okay. The song is called Spinoza. Spinoza. And it's from 2013. Okay. So this is pretty recent to when I was making these tapes. Uh, yes, definitely. Tapes. All right, so here we go, everyone. Here's Generationals with Spinoza. Spinoza. Yeah. It's a weird name. <laughs>
Mayor? Yes? Uh, I have not put a check mark beside the song preemptively because this of all the songs on here, this is the one I had the, the biggest question mark beside for, for you. Really? Yeah. Um, no, I like this song a lot. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. I like the guitar. I thought it was like really upbeat and yeah, fun. Yeah. But like, not like, it's not like a fun song, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it's got like a good energy to it. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, it definitely has the Brooklyn sound of, of the, of the naughties to it. Like the sound of a lot right. of bands, like clap your hands and say, yeah. And, yeah. and bands like that. It feels like, it feels like that kind of sound to me, like mm-hmm. kind of like a combination of the eighties and the 90s i guess or whatever like kind of a, right. a the new the old and the new in a, in a way like kind of the guitar groups from the from the, the the 80s combined with with the sound of of brooklyn or whatever but they weren't from brooklyn they're actually from baton rouge louisiana oh wow and they began as a band called the eames era i can only think a, a reference to frederick eames the i think that was his name he was a furniture designer okay did like a famous chair the eames chair and and uh Kind of like a mid, uh, mid, what do they call that? Mid modern, mid century modern, mid century modern. Yeah, yeah, kind of from that time period. And then three of the group decided they didn't want to be musicians, so the band broke up. Ooh. And then two of them wa- decided they wanted to continue to be musicians, so they changed their name to the Generationals and continued on as a duo. And the reason they called themselves the Generationals is because when the band started, it was 2008 during the presidential election, and it seemed like because they were watching the coverage of it at the time, it seemed like every thing they talked about was a generational issue so they thought that was kind of a fun name so they called themselves the generationals and yeah it's uh, interesting and by the way the album has nothing to do with the philosopher spinoza the, oh, okay. the song itself i don't know that bruch spinoza he was a jewish uh, philosopher from spain who uh was very influ- very influential philosopher did a huge treatise on ethics and then another one on, on theology uh, and uh, kind of like a overview of uh, he was dutch I believe he was based in Dutch, but he was from from Spain. He was no, he was born in Amsterdam. Oh, really? Oh, because I thought he was Portuguese Sephardi origin. Oh, okay, that's what I'm thinking. He was Spanish. Yeah, yeah, because his name was actually like Benedetto de Spinoza or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, his family must have been Spanish, and then but they were in in in, in Holland. Yeah, yeah, Bened- Benedetto de Espinosa. Yeah, Portuguese. Ben- Bened- Benedetto. Yeah, is it Portuguese? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite a famous philosopher hmm. living at a time when you could be jewish and have and be um and be uh you have res- you know be a respectable person you know you weren't like a respectable or respected respected and respectable yes right yeah and uh, he was kicked out of the jewish community though for his writings although he wasn't hmm. he wasn't an atheist but he was kind of like a deist he didn't really believe in like a creator god he believed right. he believed that there was like a a, a underlying force in the universe that because mm-hmm. he had like kind of a platonic idea to his philosophy where you know we there's no original like humans cannot have like original ideas our ideas come from something like some, right. some sort of we're drawing from a well of of knowledge you know so an experience and so that was what god was but anyway mm. that was yes it's, that's it's, spinoza right it's wikipedia is telling me that um yeah jewish jewish religious authorities issued a uh, harem against him, causing him to be effectively expelled and shunned by the Jewish society. Um, mm. And also his books related added to the Catholic Church's index of forbidden books. 
Oh, yeah, which is strange to me because, like I say, and he then wasn't... it goes on. Oh, okay, sorry. To say he was frequently called an atheist by contemporaries, although nowhere in his work does Spinoza argue against the existence of God. I guess he does argue against the notion of a Jewish or Christian God as a creator God, though, and I guess that was the that was the issue, right? Um, in terms of ending up on an index or forbidden books, ridiculous. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, the album the album is called Heza. This and uh, I don't know what it like. I was trying to look up what Heza means because then I was thinking Spinoza, Heza. That kind of sounds Jewish, mm, yeah. and then maybe there was some connection there. But then the guy's name is Ted Joyner and Grant Widner. It doesn't really sound ju- Jewish, right? So I don't know. I don't know where, where I don't know what, what they're going for there. Even the lyrics didn't really give me a clue. But I do like the song a lot. I think it's fun. I think it's a fun song. Okay, let's move on to song number. I don't remember what song it is. I don't, I don't number them. Four? Is this four or five? Five. Song number five, right? Um, yep. Um, so this is a song called Eli. It's by Caribou, which is a person, not an animal. <laughs> oh, Mary. Is uh, this band related to Grizzly Bear in any way? Because <laughs> they're all animals. From Did you hear what I said? Yeah, Grizzly Bear. Yeah, because they're... All animals. Oh. Because they're animals. Yes, I thought, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> what do you think I meant? What do you think I meant, dear? Uh, I thought you meant because humans are all animals. Humans are all animals. No, we're not. Well, we are, but different. Man, there's a lot of band stuff in this list. Rene Descartes' Meditations. What do you mean, band stuff? This, um... Oh, what, band. Oh, you're looking at the index of... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Rene Descartes, once again, did not... He's the one who created, like, the ontological argument for, for God. Mm, yeah. Right, so... Uh, John Locke, an essay concerning human understanding. Locke, I can understand. I'm just reading through. I'm just what reading a sour it once that I, Yeah, I'm reading it once that I uh, recognize. Yeah, yeah. Montesquieu, Lettres Persans, and De l'Esprit des Lois, which is in the spirit of laws. Yeah. And I don't know Lettres. I don't know Persan. Persans. Personal letter, I guess. Some sort of letter. Oh, well, uh, let's see. Persian. Oh, Persian, Persian letters. letters. Oh, interesting. Uh, it's a literary work. Um, published in 1721, recounting the experiences of two fictional Persian noblemen who are traveling through France. Ah, so it's an observation of the mores, the customs and mores of France through the eyes of strangers. Right. I can see why that ended up on the band list. Uh, Voltaire, Candide. Ridiculous. Another, actually, 41 um, works by Voltaire are yeah. in this band list. He, he, got, he got exiled from, from France for a while as well. Had to go live, had to go live in England. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, when, he, did, when he moved back to France, he lived right on the border of Swiss, Switzerland and France. Oh yeah, just in case. Just in case, yeah. <laughs> uh, Denis Diderot. Okay. Which ends uh, so an encyclopedia or um, rational dictionary of science, arts, and he was metier. He's I don't what, know what metier is. Metier is like work, like a metier is like a not work, but like a metier is like your um, vocation. Oh okay, okay. Uh, he was one of the leaders of the French Revolution, so yeah, I can see that. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, let's see, David Hume, mm-hmm. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, for sure. Yeah, uh, his book. Um, do so. The, the ones banned here are uh, em- Emile, yeah, Emile, yeah, ou de l'Education, uh, du contrat social, the social of social contract. Yeah, he's, uh, the, and, he's the one who believed that humans were born good, but society made us bad. Oh, okay. That's the tabula rasa idea. That was his his expression. Right. So we are a blank slate. 
that are written upon that they're so he didn't he would be surprised by how much of genetics we are but uh right. at the time he didn't there genetics wasn't really a understood or thought of well yeah no people were st- this was in uh 1762 yeah, we were still yeah. thinking of we're still uh, in the humoral system of medicine at that time yes exactly yeah yeah um emmanuel kant critique of pure reason is in here as well crazy once again cancer reason i became a christian hmm. one, um, one of them anyway right uh balzac omnes fabulae amateur i don't know it uh he, he was a novelist so that was probably just some some uh dirty writing right oh alexander dumas mm. oh the question of divorce uh and it says here both father and son i guess there's yes there's uh, du- dumas pair and dumas fils yeah so they've got both of them listed <laughs> or dumas fille, yeah, yeah. Uh, emile zola mm. a lot of operas a lot of band operas zola was was uh, jewish right oh, okay wasn't he uh let's see um french because he wrote about that uh, dreyfus case where the that famous case of the 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 french army officer who was was um was unfairly convicted because he was jewish maybe he was just maybe he was just uh maybe i'm just getting maybe i'm getting mixed up because he was he was yeah uh, no he's he's not um not jewish just just, he's not jewish just sympathetic to uh yeah he did write unfairly treated yes i think that is about the dreyfus case yeah it is yeah um yeah, so many. Jean-Paul Sartre, another opera. Well, come on, Sartre. God <laughs> is dead. That's that's Nietzsche, but Sartre was running with that idea. Right. Uh, Simone de Beauvoir. Lived in lived in uh, sin with uh, Sartre, so. Yeah, and, you know, feminism. Definitely on the list. Yeah, because, yeah, her books or band books are The Second Sex and The Mandarins. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oof, what a bunch of, uh, what a bunch of no fun... <laughs> there are oh there there have been cases of reversal such as those as uh copernicus and galilei galileo yeah (laughs) second thought (laughs) uh oh um so dante originally had a a book banned but it was unbanned Hmm. yeah copernicus oh and uh les mis by victor hugo was banned until 1959 Wow, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I know it's just like, <laughs> and like, there's so many that I didn't list. Yeah, too. yeah, I'm I sure, just yeah. didn't know them, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know who, like Edward Gibbon. It. Oh, he took Edward Gibbon. Yeah, I was going to say Roman Empire. I just, I just like picked that one at random. Yeah, yeah. And then looked at the title and realized I did know that one. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, not. I don't know this one. Lawrence Stern, A Sentimental Journey Through France and Italy, published in 1768. Oh, well, yeah, this is a travel guide. So once again, a stranger, Lawrence Stern wrote Tristram Shandy. He's a really, he's a really funny writer. He's a h- okay. hilarious writer, actually. Right. One of the things that he said I always remember is uh, there's a there's a line in Tristram Shandy where a character's getting married and the father says, he'll never sleep diagonally in bed again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, he's right you don't sleep diagonally in bed once you get married but yeah. uh but then um yeah he was a really funny writer but I, so it's like his his view of of uh his view of of, Fr- of france and, and italy right, right. so it, the roman catholic church is going to be part of that right because he would have been a protestant who is being ironical about the catholic church so stamp onto the list right i imagine that english letters uh voltaire's book that he wrote about his experiences in england was banned it says Candide, 
Yeah. Traité sur la tolérance, yeah. uh, lettre philosophique, and then 38 more. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think you yeah. could just assume like yeah. pretty much everything. Everything you did, yes. Yeah. Um, and oh, the other thing, one that I saw in here was Madame Bovary, mm. which but is like. It's a, a book about adultery. Yeah, but it's like they just they don't realize that like Madame Bovary is critical. I know. I of know. the character, right? Yeah, like they're yeah. not saying like, yeah. "Oh, she did a good thing," <laughs> no, right? Know. Like they're presenting it as like, as like this is a thing that you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. Whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> 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 Just I always find banned books fascinating. Yeah, I, I do too. I find it fascinating because we we're condemning it, but there are books that are banned now, right? Oh yeah, like Huckleberry Finn and stuff like that, which just seems insane to me that you would that you would ban Huckleberry Finn. Yeah. Oh, here, here's one that I missed. Sorry, oh. um, Paradise Lost by John Melton. Well, he was a pretty famous Puritan, so I can see why his uh, his oh right his uh, theological views in that little bit of biblical fanfic would have uh, would have been <laughs> yeah repulsive to the to the leaders of the. I'm gonna open my window just one second here. Sorry, I had a f- two couple flies in here, and I just wanted to let them out. Oh, all good. They're gone now. The crane fly and the giant house fly, the size of my thumb. Oh, I had one of those in, in my house the other day, and I squashed it, and all this <laughs> yellow stuff oozed out of it. Mm. I was like, that's gross. Yeah. Flies shouldn't, bugs shouldn't be big enough that when you squash them, <laughs> their guts come out. <laughs> yeah, I just, I prefer not to squish them if I can. It was like, yeah, I don't know. I just, it was like nighttime, and I kept buzzing around. And yeah, yeah, like, no, I understand. I have also, I have also, uh, it was so them. loud. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to do the next song, right? We mentioned it was Caribou. Not yes. a, it's a human being, not, a, not an Have animal. Have we not played it yet? Did I spend no. too much time? Yeah, you spent a lot of time on the band book <laughs> stuff. So let's let's listen to the song now. Okay. This is uh, Eli from 
And we're back. And I'm sorry that I said the date of the song actually, because I was going to play this song and then ask you to guess when it was when it was made. Oh. Because to me, if you heard the song, you would think it was like a psychedelic song from the '60s. I think. I totally thought it was from the '60s. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like it really, it really has that sound. And really, it's like by this electronica artist named named Caribou. Hmm, like, that's funny. And this is our little bit of, by the way, this is our uh, Canadian Canadian content on part of Caribou? our Canadian content on this side. Yes, he's a Canadian. Original name oh. for his band was Manitoba. Oh, okay. Uh, when I say band, I mean him because he's right. That's you his mean name. guy? Yeah, got it for this guy. It was Manitoba. His real name is Dan Snaith. Okay, such a Canadian name, but um, Dan Snaith. Yeah, <laughs> and but he his first two albums came out as Manitoba, but then he had a lawsuit. Uh, it was a threat from of, thr- the province of Manitoba. No for copyright infringement. You would think so. But no, well, it was not. No, I wouldn't think so because that's ludicrous. But anyway, sorry, continue. It was not the province of Manitoba that sued him. As much as the province of Manitoba is a very litigious man- province <laughs> and is constantly suing suing people. Yeah, it's constantly suing its its five um its five residents. <laughs> Boom, Manitoba. What do you think of that? <laughs> Mary just Mary just truth bombed you. Boo! Choo choo choo. Um I know he was uh threatened with legal action by this guy named Handsome Dick Manitoba, who was real name, Richard Bloom. Okay. But uh, he was the singer in The Dictators, and he threatened him with uh, legal action uh, for performing under the name Manitoba. Hmm. So... Is Caribou from Manitoba? No, I think he's from Ontario. Is Hanson Dick Manitoba from Manitoba? No, he's from New York. Oh, well then, neither of them have claim over it. <laughs> no, they don't. So... um yeah, this is from his fourth album. And actually, it won Canada's Polaris Prize that year for 2008. Did it? Yeah. Oh, interesting. But I'll tell you one interesting fact about Dan Snaith that you probably don't know, Mary. I probably do not know it. You're right. What is it? He received a doctorate in mathematics. Oh, weird. From Imperial College London, which is based in London, England. Yeah. Oh, in two- London, England, not Lon- London, Ontario. No, not London, Ontario. In 2005, for his work on overconvergent Siegel modular symbols. Hmm. So there you go. Sounds fake, but he's okay. He's not only a good musician. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, sorry. You thought the song was from the 60s. He's not only a good musician, he's also a, a smart fella. Yeah. But, uh, Mare. Yes. I did forget to ask you in my enthusiasm to talk about Ma- uh, Handsome Dick Manitoba. Yeah. What do you think of this song? I kind of zoned out the first two times I listened to it. Okay. Like, I listened through yeah. and I like made notes and I realized that I'd kind of like zoned out at some point and stopped making notes for a few songs. So I was like, okay, well I'll go back and I'll like specifically listen to those few again. Yeah. And this is one of them. Huh. And then I was like, well, what happened? I missed that song again. <laughs> so I had to go back and listen to it a third time. And I was like, okay, it's like a fine song, but yeah. I, I don't, it just didn't grab me. You All know, right. All right. like I, if it feels like a kind of a placeholder, you know, could be like it's fine it's good it's enjoyable i'm not gonna i wouldn't i personally wouldn't um awarded any awards but the polaris prize has disagreed with me which it, is fine it has spoken yeah and as as is law in canada you cannot disagree with the polaris prize once it is given so i'm gonna cut yeah, that i'm gonna true. cut it i'm gonna cut out the fact that you said that about it right because otherwise they'll take away my citizenship you'll you'll lose some you'll lose some rights rights as a citizen you're correct one of, them is, one of them is freedom of movement, Mary. Right. So, I won't do that to you. But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of, I quite enjoy this song. I, I like I like how 60s sounding it is. It has a real sunshine pop sound to it, and I really like that. 
Uh, and li- when I first heard it, I didn't really know who Caribou was when I first heard this song because I'm not really a fan of electronica. So I wouldn't have like, if someone said, this guy plays electronica, you should listen to it. I'd be like, sure, get it right on that. But uh, I just heard it on a, on a mix and uh, I was like, oh, this song is really cool. Like, I just like how like it's like modern psychedelia. That's fantastic. And so uh, it ended up on this mix. So there you go. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Mary, next, mm-hmm. I think we spent more time talking about other things than music on this show, but uh, that's fine. The next song is... Well, Dad, yes, to be fair, yeah. we've been talking about band books <laughs> and Disney movies, yeah, which fall within the purview of the show. Yeah. No, they don't. They do not. <laughs> I'm really stretching it. It's fine. It's fine. It's supposed to be a listening party and conversation is part of the party. That's true. We invite... We invite people to 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 add to our conversation through their comments and and, and participation in the show. Hey, yeah? don't steal my job. No, I'm not stealing your sh- job. I'm just You're saying. You're stealing my job on the show by by advertising the website and the forums. That's I didn't my, say my I didn't role. say anything about them though. I wasn't even going to say them. I just I was saying we'll talk about mm-hmm. that later though. Okay. So don't worry. I'm not trying to step on your toes. I was just setting <laughs> I was setting you up for later. All right. All right. Let's let's listen to this song. This is one of my favorite songs in this on this mixtape. This next song. This is The Clientele. Uh, This song is from 2005. It's called Since K Got Over Me from their album Strange Geometry. Let's give this song a listen. Julia, I get on my knees Speaking in tongues of washed out sun Since K got over me Since K got over me 
And we're back, Mare. Yes. I have to tell you right now. Uh huh. That you have to like this song. Well, I have good news for you then, Dad. What's that? I do like this song. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. I really enjoy it. I love the I love the singing, and I love the the I like the kind of weird ma- mishmash of like Beatles and Beach Boys and some of the instrumentation of the song. Right. And uh, I like how kind of weird it is. Mm-hmm. I like the things got vivid and creepy when Kay got over me. I just love that, that vivid and creepy. It's so so great. I have no idea what it's about at all because I've never right. actually looked at the lyrics for it because I don't care. But mm-hmm. I just like I just like the mystery that it has in my mind. And also, this album does an, a thing that I love, which is something that Elvis Costello did on all his albums or does on all his albums, which is that it takes a lyric from the song, not a, not a song title, but a lyric from from a song, and then makes oh. it makes it the album title. Yes, you do love that. Because this song mentions Strange Geometry. Oh, okay. And that's the name of this album. And so I love when, when albums do that, you know. So it's like the fact that, you know, on every Elvis album, then you can listen, Elvis Costello album, you can like listen to the lyrics and eventually you'll hear him say this year's model. But there's no song called this year's model. It's just from a lyric. Right. That becomes the album title. I just like that. I think it's fun. It is fun. I think it's fun. So this group is British Mary. Okay. Um, I don't have much to say about them. Only the thing I thought was interesting was that the the band was formed by two friends who mm-hmm. met when the one saw that the other had written the band's name, the band name Felt, the band Felt on his pencil case. Oh, okay. And so they became friends from that. And because I was like, they both like the band Felt. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm with you guys. Because you also like the band Felt. I also like the band Felt. Yes. Right. Um, quite a bit. In fact, I like them so much I wrote them on this piece of paper. Like in your notes? Yeah, I know. I just, as we're talking about them, I just rewrote Felt. Oh, okay. And then, um, yeah, they were initially called the Butterfly Collectors. But then when after when, when one of the, a different founding member left the group, they they broke up for a while, then they came back together and they changed their name to the clientele. Mm. And they're still, like butter- they're still working today. You like Butterfly Collectors better? I like Butterfly Collective, yeah. Collectors. It's, it's very, what? Butterfly Collectors. Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, I thought you said Collective. Oh, no, no, no collectors okay uh no it's like a very um very like 60s sounding name mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is yeah yeah which is like probably what they were going for with it because that's kind of also yeah they have a bit of that style to them for sure like you can really hear like like almost like they just sort of like they really like the song sloop john b i guess because it has that little bit of that that little dun dun you know they're from the song i can't of course it just has a bit of that the instrumentation of that song like the use of like the of like a glockenspiel or, or xylophone or whatever that they use to give a little bit of the chime to it and just things like that just i think it they really kind of draw from that sound in the song but also it has its own unique individual sound as a band as well so which are good things it's good to be draw from the past but also have your own sound that's new and now they're still together though they toured last year they came to seattle and i was thinking about going to see them but then i changed my mind no, oh, why? Why did you change your mind? I don't know. I, I kind of like like I like the song a lot, but the rest of their music I'm okay with. Right, I get that. And then I was thinking I would have to stand for like two hours in a mm-hmm. club and watch watch a band play kind of slowish songs for two hours. Yeah, and it's also like a two hour drive to Seattle. And then yeah, it's two hour drive there at night, and it's after work, and then right. driving back after the concert. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of a lot of that. So I mm-hmm. kind of like meh. Second thought. Yeah, and now we can't even go to. Um, the States anyway. So. Yeah, we're not, not across the line. Or anyhow. concerts. I know. Or to go to movies across the line in Bellingham. Yeah. Or go to Popeye's in Linden. 
There's a Popeyes in Abbotsford. Oh, but they don't sell the sandwiches there because they can't sell the sandwiches in Canada. What? No, I, I think they sell the sandwiches. Nope. Unless are you they sure? Just, unless they just started. I think they might have just started. But people were this complaining one... before about the fact they didn't sell sandwiches in Canada. Oh, okay. Yeah, this um, Popeyes just opened. Mm. Mm. I went there once. It was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's better than uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh, yeah. Way better. Way more way more crunchy. Mm-hmm. Kentucky yeah. I don't know. I don't know if Kentucky Fried Chicken got worse or if I just evolved in my taste buds because I'm like not a little kid anymore. Um, yeah. But Kentucky Fried Chicken is bland, and they're not. It's not like soggy, but it's not. It's not crisp. Yeah. yeah. Crisp. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna say this. They changed the recipe, and it's not as tasty. Okay. Also. I'm an adult, and. But also, their chicken got really greasy for a while and awful. Yeah. We just had some the other day because Mom wanted some for her. For um, Mother's Day. Mother's Day, yeah, and and I have to say it was better than it used to be. Like it was not okay. as greasy feeling, right? Like I made a little, I made a joke to some friends a little while ago where they were talking about Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I said, I just made a joke and I said, well, you know what their secret recipe is, and they're like, well, I said a bucket of grease with a chicken bone in it. So that's what I feel like you're just eating like a big bucket of grease. But it was, yeah. it, was, it was better than that. It was better than that's that, good. I can say. But Popeyes yeah, we is haven't, better. We haven't had KFC in a while. But Mom really likes it. Mm-hmm. She does. She does for sure. Okay. Let's move on to another song. And I'm going to say that you like this song too, Mary. I'm going to put a preemptive check mark on this song right now. Okay. Well, you know what that makes me want to say, Dad. I know. I know. I know that it gets your stubborn, <laughs> stiff-necked persona into a, into, a, into, a, into a knot. But I'm still, I'm just going to, I just want, and it's kind of fun to, to guess, right? All right. So uh, this is, everyone, this is going to be a band with a weird name to me. This is such a strange name. Off-Broadway USA. Isn't it a weird name? It is a weird name. Off-Broadway USA. With their song, Stay in Time, from 1979. Here we go, everyone.
So that was Stay in Time by Off-Broadway USA. That's right. What do you think of that song, Mare? Um, okay. So I thought it sounded like a song that has been in a lot of movies. Okay. Like not in that it, not that in that I recognized it from a, a movie. Yeah. It just sounded like a song that would be, you know? Mm-hmm. But I thought it was a good song. Yeah. I it was fun. Yeah. And I was going to bed and I had it stuck in my head last night. So <laughs> There's a sign of a good song. Yes. Yeah. I was singing at work the other day. I was walking around. Yeah, it's good. Uh, so this is what I have to say about this band. You ready? Okay. Formed in Oak Park, Illinois, which is like a suburb on the west side of Chicago. Okay. In 1977. The band was formed, not Oak Park. Not Oak Park, no. Oak Park's okay. been there a long time. I think Oak Park yeah. has uh, Frank Lloyd Wright houses in it. Yes, they do. Well, I think. Well, I think that Oak Park is like one of like the original suburbs. But yeah, you're yeah, right. It does yeah. have um, a lot of Frank Lloyd Wright now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I've always wanted to visit there. Mm-hmm. Tra- tra- yeah, you can do. They have um, like walking tours that you can do. <sighs> they have like them set up so you can go around and like look at all these houses. Yeah. And then I think that you end at um, this house that he owned and lived in. Okay. And also made. Hmm. Do they have the synagogue as part of it? Is the synagogue part of the uh, thing in Oak Park? I I can't. I think so. Maybe. I know there's like I, the uh, doll house. D a d a h l. Yeah. House and some, yeah. Yeah. I'd love to go. Love oh to yeah, because there's the, yeah there's the temple. That's right. Yeah. The, it's the, a it's a univer Unitarian Universalist. Oh no, he also designed a synagogue as well. Oh okay. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. I didn't know he did a. I didn't know he did a, a Unitarian one. Yeah. I like to go there and make fun of them. The UU? The UU? I, I had a friend who was UU. Oh, yeah. Huh. It's uh, someone I heard an atheist recommend one time that if you are an atheist and you want to run for office in the United States, declare yourself as a Unitarian. It's the closest thing to be oh, an atheist. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, they, in 1979, they did their album On, which this song okay. was called Stay in Time was from it. And this song actually reached number 51 on the Billboard Hot 100. Yes. Which is pretty yeah. good. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then they recorded a less successful follow-up called Quick Turns in 1981, and then they eventually broke up in 1983. They have reformed since then to tour, you know, to do like the nostalgia tours and stuff. But as far as like being a, a working band of the time, they, they broke up in 83. But yeah, I think the song is very good. It's like, it falls right into my, how much I love power pop. It just goes right, fits right into that, that sound, that kind of, uh, how do you describe it? Like not, not a bloated, you know, kind of, rock sound r-a-w-k sound of the the late 70s it's much more like a i dislike it because it's more concise you know more like kind of classic rock rock sound you know that power pop sound of that time period it's very appealing to me as a kid i didn't like a lot of stuff that was on the radio but i love songs like like this that were had like kind of a like an older sound to them so it's it stays with me yet to this day my taste for those songs okay let's move to our our ultra ultra penultimate song, Mary. This is the high speed scene. In fact, I'm just going to mark a check mark beside this song right now. This is the high speed scene mm-hmm. in the know from their self titled and only album, The High Speed Scene, which came out in 2005. Here we go, everyone. Back to the start. Oh, 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 oh. Back to the start, because they broke a hole in my heart. Are you in the 
make it loud for the dance floor So funky, so fresh, so fly We live like junior executives They like to fake it like they feel the flow They like to fake it like they feel it, yo But I just go, oh, 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 oh The kids are in the know not like this song i don't know i you know what i've never met someone who doesn't like this song and i would not like to meet them because <laughs> they're probably a bummer <laughs> this song is a joy this song is so much fun the song is so much fun and you know i actually the first time i heard the song was live we saw this band open for another band and i can't even remember what band it was that they opened for so obviously i wasn't too impressed with that band right but this band is always stuck in my mind for two two reasons one is that they played this song and it was great. And then and then after they finished their show, the bass player came out into the audience and he gave out a little cardboard uh, covered EP of four songs from their upcoming album that had this song on it. And so cool. that was so great because I liked it so much in concert. It was so fantastic then to have it on, on CD to, to listen to. Yeah, that's a nice little treat. Oh, for sure. And then, but when they played it live, they played it so fast because... They were getting a really good response from from the audience. Like they were really popular with the crowd. Like they were getting lots of like lots of love from from us mm-hmm. in the audience. And so that really like made them so happy that when they played this yeah. song, they played it so fast. And the and the bass player said after they finished playing the song on stage, he said, "That is the fastest we've ever played that song." <laughs> so I could barely keep up. <laughs> so yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty good. And so it was just three people. It was a drummer, 
the bass player and then the guitar player whose name is Max Hart. He's the one who wrote the songs and stuff for on, on the album. And yeah, they were great. And then the other thing that was great was at the time, I wouldn't say I was going through a Jandic phase because I don't like, I actually don't like his music very much, but I was really interested in, in the idea, the mythology of Jandic. Do you know who Jandic is, Mir? I do not. So there's this guy who was from Texas and he was kind of an outsider music, outsider artist. Okay. And every year or maybe twice a year, he put out a, a new album and it's just completely unlistenable. It's just a guy <laughs> strumming an out of tune guitar, singing these songs in kind of a tenor, like a kind of a high pitched quavering voice. Right. Singing these tuneless songs uh, to this out of tune guitar. And, but he would put out, faithfully put out a new album of this every, every year. And it's, to me, it's virtually unlistenable. But it's so fascinating because he, he just went by the name Jandek. He would not do interviews. There were no pictures of him that were known of. There were pictures of a guy on the albums. Some of the albums had a picture of a person, but the, it was unknown if that was Jandek or if he's just using like found art or whatever. Often pictures would be like a Polaroid picture of like a like a 1970s armchair in a in a living room, and that would be like the, the album cover. And he would go through phases as well. Like he would go through like his furniture inside a house phase for album covers. Then he'd go through his buildings around his neighborhood phase. And then you go through images of people phase, but you didn't know if that was him or just people that he might know or whatever. There's like right. no way to know because you, he did not, did not, did not do interviews. He might, he wouldn't, you know, so if you, and if you wrote to him and so, the, and so I became really fascinated with him. And, and about the same time that I learned about him, I discovered there was a film that had just been made called Jandek on Corwood. Corwood Industries was the name of his record label. Okay. So when you wrote to him, you would get back a piece of letterhead with a stamped, like a you know rubber stamped thing that said Corwood Industries and it gave the post post office box number in the town in the town in Texas that he lived we assume and so and the movie was really fascinating because it was all these people that were you know journalists mostly like journalists who worked in like kind of outsider or you know like fringe you know fringe interest music you know people who like would have also been in like the Holy Motor Rounders documentary. There's also people from there. There's crossover from both, both uh, films of, of music journalists, right? Cause they're all like outsider or, you know, the people on the kind of fringes. Yeah. And so they're talking about this and they all, and they all have their, they all have their theories of who he is and his history and stuff like that. And it's all clearly made up, right? It has nothing to do with reality. It's just like their sense of who he is from his music. And this was fascinated by, by him as like a conceptual art artist because it seemed to me that his concept of what he was was more interesting than his music. Like this concept of like being so secretive that you couldn't know who he was, that created like this mythology of who he was, was like a really interesting music project, I thought. Hmm. And I was really interested in it. And I was telling it to a, to a, a mother of one of Eve's friends, and she became like really offended by him. She's like, well, that doesn't seem fair that he's like hiding behind something. And he became, he became really like worked up about this element of his mystery. And I was like, but that's what's so interesting about it. It is the mystery of his persona. And she's like, no, it right. feels like he's cheating. Like it feels wrong. And so then to bugger, I made a Jandek shirt. Because I had like a t-shirt and I had some leftover stuff uh, for making something for uh, you could print onto shirts. Okay. I think I made a Holy Modal Rounder shirt. That's what I did. I made a Maury Eels, made the Holy Modal Rounder shirt. Okay. To announce people that I loved that album, and they'd all be like, "You love that album too?" No one, no one ever said that to me. Oh, wait, I'm wrong. Someone said that to me at Zulu Records when mm. I was there. This guy said, "Love that album, and I love your shirt." <laughs> so I made this shirt for this Jandek shirt. Right. And then I decided I, I, so I wore it and got this mother really upset. 
not like a crying mad, but just kind of like, what are you wearing a Jandek shirt for? That guy's a jerk. <laughs> so I wore it that night to the concert and this, this bass player came off the stage and he's like, oh, I love your shirt. Who's Jandek? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So anyway, um, so uh, that was kind of fun too. That was kind of fun. That's my, that was the end of my in the know story of meeting the band to a degree. So, to a degree. so yeah, so the, I guess the band was originally based in San Francisco. So wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Is that why you were telling that whole story about Jandek? Yeah. Just because you were, wore a shirt you to wore the, that shirt to the concert? Yeah. And the guy liked it. So wait, it wasn't anything to do with like outsider art? No, not at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> not at all. Why? I don't know. I was just wondering. This is one of the things I remember going to that concert. That's why it's six months. That's that's totally fair. Um, It was just kind of a long road to get there. Um, Dang, I thought the show would be shorter. (laughs) That's okay. That's uh, that's funny. (laughs) I know. We're so silly. So let me just tell you a little bit about the high speed scene. Okay. Before we move on, a little bit. Just a little bit. There's not a lot to say because they only they only lasted for a couple EPs and then the album. And then they broke up, but I guess Max Hart had come from San Francisco. He played in a band there called Death Ray. He played keyboards. And I was surprised to learn that he played keyboards because I only thought of him as a guitar player because he played guitar in the high-speed scene. But no, he was a keyboard player in the band called Death Ray. And the album, The High-Speed Scene, I guess they were playing around town and they got discovered by, um, they got recommended by the group Nerd um, that at that time, I don't know if they're still active, but which featured Pharrell Williams. And so they got signed to to um, the Neptune. The Neptunes had an imprint for Interscope Records called Star Trek. So they got signed to Star Trek. And so Pharrell Williams is listed as executive producer for this album, whatever that means. And then, but it was produced by this woman named Dana Deathray, actual last name Gumbiner. So I can see why she prefers Deathray. So she was a member of the band Deathray, which is where Max Hart had played in before he moved to LA and joined and started up the high-speed scene. Uh, and then the band broke up after that that album, but Max Hart's still still involved in the music scene. It's like a really like common commonly seen or heard uh, session musician. Plays with a lot of people. And I was surprised in that. He even plays with War on Drugs. More on them in a moment. But also uh, played with um, Melissa Etheridge of all people and uh, We Are Scientists. Yeah, so quite a few different groups. He plays, but he plays keyboards with them. I was reading an interview with Melissa Etheridge, and she said she says uh, I got this new musician in the group called Max Hart and that's really opened up our sound we can play a lot more like southern uh, soul music and stuff like that because he's a really great keyboard player and I was like wow I only think of him as like a really great guitar player because he'd like zoom through in the nose so fast <laughs> so yeah it's interesting so there you go that's all I want to say about, about uh, that group end of cool. end of lesson end of lesson <laughs> so we heard about we learned about Jandek mm-hmm. And if you ever find, if you can find Jandek on Corwood anywhere, I do recommend it as a film. It's a really interesting film. The problem with that movie, though, is that because it was, it kind of pop- popularized or kind of brought him above ground, he then started touring and, and revealed who he was. Mm, and I was yeah. like, mistake. Yeah. Don't do it too late. He did it. Um, all right, let's do another song, Mary. This is our second to last song. And it's by one of my favorite groups that we've heard a lot. We hear, we hear them quite often. I push them. I push them on people. Because I like them so much. This is no fun from my personal favorite album of theirs, Snivel. And this song is called Blue Lust. Are you ready, Mare? I am. Well, then I'll start. Blue 
Uh, and we're back, Mary. Now, we've played a lot of No Fun on the show, Mary. Yes. And I have to say that you have not always liked it. No. So I, I did not put a put a uh, check mark beside this one because I'm not certain where you fall on this song. But uh, this song is from the final side of of No Fun's album Snivel, subtitled or the chapter of this out this side is uh, when things became hopeless, and it has one of my favorite what I think of as like a a, a song trilogy. Like a, it has Blue Lust, the song um, when love turns to shove. And then the final song, Snivel. And I just love it as like a, a title, a, like that, as an ending, a hope, a kind of a, what would you call it? A hopeless love or, or, you know, whatever, some sort of, some sort of like, you know, breakdown in love and uh, trilogy at the end of the album. Uh, but what did you think of Blue Lust? Um, I thought it was pretty good. Mm. That was a pretty fun song. Oh, good. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very, very beautiful song. I just like uh, Paul Leahy's guitar playing, I think, is particularly excellent in this song. He does some, mm-hmm. it's very subtle, but he does some really amazing things in it. If you're paying attention, I guess, uh, you listen to some of the, yeah. I think I, I might have mentioned before, but I remember talking to someone about Paul's playing and, and they were playing a song by Paul when he wrote it. And they said, he said, yeah, he's, he's deceptively simple. When you go into one of his songs, you think, oh, this will be really easy to play. And then you start playing and you're like, oh, this is really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard. So uh, yeah, he's a was a really good guitar player, Effortly, effortlessly good. Um, this made it look so easy, but uh, obviously spent a long time in his bedroom practicing those licks, doing his Mick Ronson poses in front of a mirror, you know. <laughs> so yeah, it's a good song. But I have nothing more to say about it because we've talked about No Fun so often. Yeah, we have. They're not. They are. They like Sloan are are known to our listeners. <laughs> yes, because of my enthusiasm for their music. They're known. But I'm glad you liked it. I get to put up a check mark beside that one. Check mark. Very good. Very good. Okay. So we're going to head into our last song, everyone. And our ultimate song. Our ultimate song. This is the ultimate song on, on, on this on mixtape number one for Pierce Johnson. This is a band we've already heard, actually, The War on Drugs, from their album Lost in the Dreams from 2004. And this song is called Under the Pressure. Uh, but I changed this song. This song is actually called Under the Pressure bracket edit bracket and bracket oh you edited it i edited this song down yeah i took about i don't know how long it is on on the mixtape um i don't have my mixtape open right now so it'll be too too slow for this old computer to turn on and tell me but uh, the actual song is eight minutes and 51 seconds oh wow yeah and oh sorry and so i don't know i think that song is just a little over four minutes yeah it was not eight minutes yeah yeah yeah, the song kind of ends with a long, kind of drawn out, just sort of like a synthesizer drone kind of thing with kind of ambient noises and stuff like that, which is fine. Okay. Which is fine in, a, in an album situation. I'm okay, right. I'm okay with that in that situation. But when I'm doing a mixtape, I don't really want to waste four minutes of possible other song time with with your with your drawn out ambient soundscape thing. So I just faded it out, and that was the end of the the end of it. But anyway, let's give it a listen. And uh, everyone can hear my editing work. <laughs> it's joking, who cares? But uh, let's listen to <laughs> Under the Pressure by The Warren Dogs. I really, really enjoy this song, so let's give it a listen.
the last song on this side and and i gotta tell you mary when it fades out to this song mm-hmm. and has a little bit of a fade and then immediately goes into my cello again i think it's a really good little uh side to side transition as well oh i think that i think that is important yeah i do too i do too 
and uh, I think it really works. I, I really like the transitions on this whole album, actually. There's some, some weird transitions because of things like on, on side one, we have the Sloan song. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's from Never Hear the End of It, where none of the songs have endings. They all f- kind of, there's no right, spaces like between songs. Yeah, there's no spaces yeah. between songs. So it has an abrupt cut into uh, Local Rabbit's Yo Teach. But that really works, too, because Local Rabbit's has an abrupt beginning to that song. And it really kind of all worked yeah, as a, as a whole, I felt. Work. I thought the transitions were really, really good on this uh, particular, particular disc. Mm-hmm. And uh, what did you think of War on Drugs? I know you didn't like the the uh, red eyes we played last time from this album, but maybe, maybe under the pressure might have warmed, warmed, it, warmed its way into your heart. It did not. Oh, you still didn't like it. X. I still didn't it. like it. Oh. I didn't like the talk singing. Hmm. Um. Which I, I, I do like that a lot. It reminds I me think... of. Uh, reminds me a lot of um, the British band. Uh. uh uh, dire Straits. Oh, I don't know why their name faded on my mind. The British band Dire Straits it reminds me a lot of of them. Uh, the, okay. The way of the way of that talk singing, which obviously comes via Bob Dylan, I think. But uh, but yeah, I have no problem with that because I I do like that sort of style. Right. I also thought that it was very eighty sounding. Mm. No, I do not like um, <laughs> very like the eighties. I just like I don't know keyboards. Yeah. I don't like very much. In general, okay, I think hmm. um, keyboards are synthesizers. Like, are you okay with organs and pianos? But you don't like, uh... or sorry, yeah, yeah, no, sorry, synthesizers. That's okay. what I don't like. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And like, there's so much synth in the '80s. <laughs> so much synth. It's in like every song. It is really that was really popular. That, yeah, that Martin Rushent, for instance, he produced uh, Human League's album Dare. That were the producer of the Stranglers, Radis Nervegicus. Um, but yeah, like after. In the '80s, he like he like completely changed. He like started a studio. He bought all synthesizer stuff for it. He bought like all the equipment at that time, Fairlights, all this very expensive equipment, seventy-five thousand dollar machines and stuff like that, or seventy-five thousand pound machines, I should say. He bought all this stuff and he started this uh, this uh, all synth studio. Like everything was synthesized in it. You know, it's just yeah, it was just the times, right? Like people, this that was the newest thing. You know, if you wanted to be on the cutting edge of technology, that's what you used. And so what seems dated now at the time was like the future, which is weird, isn't it? And it's weird that stuff that was from the past, like the guitar oriented stuff, feels more timeless than the stuff that was was so cutting edge. And it's interesting. Yeah, the the singer, one of the lady singers from uh, from the Human League complained about how long it took to program all the synthesizers and things for that album. Yeah, because it was so, so new, it, was, it took forever to do. But I can see why you don't like it. I'm not a fan of it either, to be honest. Although I do like the Human League a lot. Are you there, Mir? Yeah, I'm there. Oh, sorry. I mean, I'm here. <laughs> okay. Um, I do like the Human League a lot, but yeah, a lot of synthesizer stuff doesn't really do it for me. Yeah, I remember you made you made an '80s mix for Mom. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> Did not enjoy that. I just wanted something that Mom might like. Sorry. I just wanted something that Mom would like. She often didn't like the mixtapes that I made. Oh, well, I mean, no, I didn't get that. And mom liked, you know, that stuff. She liked the Human League and she liked, uh, or likes still, I assume, um, Flock of Seagulls, you know? Yeah. Which, like, I get that because that's what she, you know, listened to in her um, I think she likes. Prime. I think she likes slightly cooler stuff than that. Like, she's more like a, a Equin the Bunnyman and Smiths fan and stuff like that. Like more, right. More commercial you, stuff, I think she was. You had Flock of Seagulls on there, didn't you? I don't remember, no. I don't remember what I had in there. You could be wrong. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I would have put Flock of Seagulls on there. No, I'm probably thinking of Echo and the Bunny Man. Yeah, different different sort of thing. Yeah, it was a bit more hipper than 
I might yeah. have had fascination on there. You, uh, <laughs> Maybe that was on I a mix. Oh no, that was on a mix. That was on, on a, a different mix. mix. Yeah, I think you're right. Keep feeling fascination, passion burning. <laughs> do 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 do. <laughs> you remember it? Yeah, I do because it was on a mixtape. Yeah, was, and yeah. those mix or mix CD and those mixes um, stayed in in the Durango all the time. <laughs> That's all we listen to. I don't think mom knew how to work the radio in there. No, I think that she, if she if she could have, she would have turned it off, but she couldn't. So <laughs> she's stuck. She's stuck with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, and that, I I don't think that that song is fantastic, personally. Fascination. The Human League. No, I remember it because I've heard it a million times. Oh yeah, but yeah. It's no. Um... I like it a lot because it's it's like their version of a Sly and the Family Stone song. Oh, okay. It's totally what it is. Like right. it has like the the basic like someone going like singing a low part to it and stuff like that you know it's great mm-hmm. it's a great song yeah it does have a really low part yeah yeah it's just like do, do, do. that's right keep feeling just like they would do that with uh they would do Silent that in soul songs too like you think of like uh the spitter song uh you just can't stop games people play you know or where uh they have the you know 12 45 do, 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 do. you know that's the bass part of the song this part of that style of singing and they, they just kind of updated it into the 80s so it's kind of fun but anyway well, I'm sorry that you didn't like uh, Under the Pressure. I think it's a very good song, and I thought it was a really good side closer. Like I say, I thought this side was, I thought this side was just like great and, and just really, uh, I kind of thought you might not like the song, but I love it. And so it's, I think it's a great side. I just thought this whole thing was like, like up, up, started good and just kept going up. I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to, so I'll now stop patting myself in the back. But uh, what did you think overall, Mary? What was your, what was your sense of this mixtape? Overall, great. <laughs> good. Okay, that's good. That's good. A couple of clunkers, but uh, but overall, you liked it. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, I think we should probably end the show as we're heading into the. I think we should too. There's a dog mark. sitting outside my door, <laughs> banging it down, trying to, trying to get inside to see me. <laughs> so, uh, why don't you tell our friends in the audience how they can contact us? Um, they can contact us on our website, sneakydragon.com, on the forums there, as Dad alluded to earlier, <laughs> um, or on Facebook at Sneaky Dragon, on Twitter at Sneaky underscore Dragon, or by email at SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com. Um, on SneakyDragon.com, you can also find our mailing address if you would like us to respond to something later rather than now. Hmm. Yeah. Scout just yipped outside the door. I don't know if you heard it, but she made a very pained yip sound. <laughs> I did hear she it. She went, Boop! You did hear it? I heard it, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I made the mistake of looking at her, which was bad. Don't make, You can't make eye contact with a, with a dog who's unhappy with you. Well, don't do that. Okay, Mare. Well, you know, I did get to see you in person the other day, so that was a real pleasure. It's been a long yeah, time. Yeah, I came by and dropped off some mother's day flowers for mom yes and you brought some uh paperwork for your taxes and yes and that too. That, so we get all that stuff together and uh also totally forgot that i had taken us i was in school last or last <laughs> spring i 100 percent forgot that until mom messaged me this morning and said were you in school last year <laughs> i was like oh yeah i guess i was you can write that off too you know i know well now i know <laughs> so um yeah, it was nice to see you, and and but I feel like it's been it's been a real boon doing this show with you that we were able to get together 
every bye week and spend some time in, together in the rumpus room. And I feel like that way for our listeners too, that we all can come together in the rumpus room fortnightly for, for, for every bye week for our, um, for our little get togethers. It's very nice. So, mm-hmm. so thank you for dropping by and listening to our nonsense. We really do, really do appreciate it. Everyone out there. And hopefully you agreed with me this week that this music was, I mean, this, this uh, mixtape was great. Agreed with me too. Beginning to end. Beginning and agreed with Mary as well. Sorry. But I was the one who made the original statement that you called daring last show. But yes, agreed right. with you as well. Agreed with Mary's Mary's assessment that it was in, was indeed what I said. Right. A great mix. Mostly. And and uh, hopefully, give you mm-hmm. something to look forward to everyone. Next mixtape is a Cuckoo Bananas. I don't know what I was thinking about. But uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good endorsement. Hey, but, come listen to our podcast. It's going to be a mess. <laughs> Sometimes there's a mess. It's just, it's just a weird mix. Like I was just looking at it and just going like, what bizarre choices I made. But anyway, I'm going to stand by it. It's great. I hope. So uh, I guess I'll I guess I'll drop that off at your place, Mayor, soon. Because I, I didn't have it ready for when you came the other day. So right. we, will, uh, we will reconvene here. In a bye week with, with another show. Oh yeah, here in this yeah. in this space in this yeah in pod this, space in, in Skype. Yeah, I was wondering. I was looking back at our our Skype relationship. Yeah, and Skype is like, who are these people who call each other once every two weeks and talk <laughs> for four hours? Like, what is that? <laughs> like, we're doing a podcast. I think it knows. Skype must know by now what's going on. Podcasts. Yeah. Yeah, probably. They're hip. They're hip to what's happening. All right, everyone. With that, let us say farewell and uh, take care of yourselves out there. Take care of each other. And we will be back. Bye.